morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. I am Michael Zalvari, also known as Floodman11, and I am joined this afternoon for me, this very late evening, for Cookie Monster FL, also known as Austin Zetsman. How are you tonight, Austin? Doing well, Michael. How are you doing tonight? Sure. Good this this morning or this afternoon? Yeah. This it's it's morning. it's it's this afternoon and it is a glorious day. We're already getting summer and it makes me so happy on the inside and the outside. Actually, it's just really nice now. It's it's a good life. Well, we still have summer too over here. So I don't yeah. know what that is though. It can't be the, the climate changing. We're, oh right. no, we're not going to oh, do this. Oh sorry. We're not oh, do okay. This. Okay. Oh okay. Sorry. <laughs> this is this is like this is meant to be sports cars. We're not doing we're oh. not doing that. Uh, welcome to Political Chat. Oh, uh, this is Austin Zetsman here. With, uh, and good. now you're uh, using, we're using our real names. That means we can get real yeah. abuse from real people. Yeah, Don't uh, abuse I'm us, please. willing to be doxxed. <laughs> we're, we're here to talk some, some sports cars. We're here to talk the WC opener at Silverstone, along with the last three ELMS races, because the European summer of motorsports is so densely compacted that I can't sort through it in a quickly enough time to get organized in time so we're going to do some wec we're going to do three rounds of elms and then we're going to talk about what's happening literally this weekend at fuji you ready for this cookie ready as i'll ever be which means you're not ready let's go so (laughs) wc silverstone first round of season eight it's a it was a four-hour event firstly what are your thoughts just generally on the format silverstone is the season opener all that sort of stuff how do you how do you enjoy the first round of season eight yeah i mean there was four hours instead of six so i guess i definitely did notice the fact that it was only four um but so, I mean, that that being said, as a racing fan, and especially a endurance fan, I'm used to seeing 24-hour races, so I would always love to see more racing. So, yep. from that aspect, sure, less racing, eh, I, I would love to see more. But I thought um, it really didn't play that huge of a factor into the, I think, the final results of the race. I don't think the strategy was too different than we would have seen if it was a six-hour race. Um, maybe we might have had more reliability issues. I don't know, but I don't know. I, I I thought the the change of the actual time of the race didn't make too much of a difference to me, or that it was that noticeable. I don't know yeah. about you. Yeah, I I enjoyed. I I really like having Silverstone as the first round of the season. I think it gets the season off to a really positive start. Whether that be uh, whether that's been like at the beginning of the year in April or, you know, the beginning of the sports car year or here yeah, in I agree August. With that. Yeah, it, it really. Better. better in August. Oh, really? Why, what makes you say it's better in August? I don't know. I, I, whenever I saw everybody in April, it looked like everybody was basically like freezing their butts off. So I don't, I don't I know. I mean, it is England. <laughs> and well, like, for sure. They, for had, sure. they had intermittent weather, weather throughout the entire weekend anyway. So that's warmer. I don't know. I, I I just whenever I've camped, like I've never. I, I think Daytona is probably the coldest that I've I, that I would just normally camp at or like do anything out in the in that in the open and just I don't know that that to me it seems like it's just it's it. I feel like you would still probably get the the attendance up there, but in terms of an overall enjoyment, I feel like the August venue and layout is is better suited for the average fan i feel like yeah fair enough nice yeah. nice warm summer evening and in fact uh 
Oliver Trevorus, who was actually at the Silverstone weekend, uh, who can't be here for recording because, you know, real life, uh, he, he said that people were staying right to the end of the four hours of the WEC event and, you know, it felt good. Families were staying. It, it felt like the right amount of time. So that's that's pretty uh, a pretty good uh, reflection of uh, how the series wanted that event to go. They wanted people to stay to the very end. They wanted to make it attractive for families. And that's... That's apparently uh, what went and what worked. So good on the WEC, uh, even though for people around the world, they were a bit angry about it. But yeah, the four hour, like it, it, it felt okay. It didn't feel like it was rushed. So yeah, I, I kind of liked it. I, I have a, a question for you. So I've been pondering this for a bit since then. What yeah. would you feel if ELMS went longer than the WC round? Uh, that at would, Silverstone. That would feel weird. I think the four hour races for both is all right uh but if the elms was a six hour and the wc was a four hour i'd feel like that was a little off me if, me personally hashtag me personally we're gonna reappropriate mm-hmm. that from the week of sports guys <laughs> okay yeah i i i i, I, don't, I don't know i that that's an interesting uh, i'd almost say angle to take because i don't know may, maybe you could give more more um emphasis on the elms round on the saturday i don't know i'm i i like the direction like that's the thing i'm going with i think is that do more of this uh they mix it up and do four hours eight hours all that you know just keep keep doing this kind of stuff keep making kind of like afternoon to sunset to evening races that kind of thing i think there really is an avenue that the aco and fa can explore more and, and maybe do something like that maybe it might not it might be weird but Maybe that gets more entries in yeah, for well, Silverstone. I mean, as a sports car fan, variety is the spice of life, right? We we talk mm-hmm. about, Absolutely. especially in GT3, seeing 10 different brands in the top 10 or in prototypes, seeing a bunch of different teams from different locations bring their own stuff to, to race against each other. And I think formats and race types and all that sort of stuff adds to that variety. And I think it's really good. So I, I liked it. I hope that the varied formats keep teams on their toes for the rest of the year. I mean, we're going to the first six hour event at Fuji this weekend, and then we got an eight hour at Bahrain. So, you know, chopping and changing, which is really nice. And yeah, let's, let's keep this, keep this series rolling. In my opinion. Absolutely. Awesome. Why not? Okay, so let's talk about the race in depth. So I think the biggest uh, talking point for the race in itself was that rain shower that we had in the middle, and that kind of spiced everything up. Everything was kind of plodding along nicely up until that point, and then all of a sudden, woof, there was this super aggressive rain shower. It was like something at the you know last half of Circuit of the Americas back when they used to race there or something you'd see at Fuji and it just dumped a bunch of rain on the track and we saw a bunch of teams try and fight through the wet uh, and then a few teams go onto slicks late sorry sorry early in the piece after going onto wets early in the piece um, so yeah it was a really really interesting mix of strategies in there and in fact it was the Toyota team who tried to tough it out that actually lost the most amount of time in that wet spell yeah I, I mean almost kind of working a little too hard overthinking a bit but again uh, they I think they've they afforded that just by the gaps that they created but it definitely threw a wrench in a lot of different strategies and specifically we we got to see you know, I 
I think different dynamics of even the the, the different tire manufacturers, especially now the the new uh, Goodyear mm, yeah. tire that we have, which they say that it, it is pretty you know uh, different than Dunlop. So I guess this would be a new compound, a new uh, dynamic of a tire to, for LMP2 teams to get used to. But um, you know, we got to see a little bit a little bit of that as well, and to see strengths from teams that maybe didn't have the pace and in the dry, they had a little bit more uh, in intermittent conditions. So, yeah, I think that absolutely helped. Yeah, <laughs> I love rain, so yeah. bring it on all all the time. Intermittent conditions. Yeah, well, it, it was a certainly an equalizer because the teams that were maybe off the pace a little bit in the dry conditions, like for example, Rebellion. Uh, they actually came to the fore and were leading at one point during the intermittent showers and then with a safety car as well. They were actually they actually took the lead and held the lead, you know, for a whole four or five corners after the safety car came out. Uh, sorry, after the safety car went back into the pits. But still, you know, it shows that the the strategy game is still very much at the forefront because Toyota tried to they tried to like bully their way through the rain if that makes sense they tried to go no this is fine we can do this we can get through and then in the end Hartley was saying no we need to come in this is ridiculous and then they came in so yeah it's it was apart from that for Toyota they had a pretty untroubled race but still like if it was me in the strategy of that team like why would you take that risk like can you answer that uh, I don't know. No, I mean, confidence. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe overconfidence. That's, 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 yeah, that, yeah, that, that's it. I mean, just the the confidence that if there was a mistake, you could redeem it. I mean, so that's yeah. I, otherwise, I, yeah, I don't really have an explanation at all for for that decision. I mean, it, there's other teams I I do, but not for them. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so. like they they really shouldn't be putting themselves into the position where they should lose their advantage. Like, you just minimize risk. That would be my plan. I mean, yeah, it's boring, but, like, just minimize risk. <laughs> Especially when you have other teams in the series that have worked that to perfection. So, yeah. wink, wink, nod, nod, and F1. But I don't know. I find, you know, but when we talk about that, that I mean, those are kind of mistakes that I think we could correct. Some of the other interesting stuff, I mean, we'll get into it a little bit later too. If we're talking pace-wise, that even through intermittent conditions, I didn't really see JCDC or Chota really doing much at all, even yeah. during those intermittent conditions, which is really strange because I didn't think, you know, I, th- I thought at some point we were going to see them come to the fore and at least put some pace up, but I just didn't see that at all, so well that was a little bit interesting we'll chat about that a little later on because that's that's going to be i think very telling uh once we delve into uh the reasons behind that but yeah in Mm -hmm. in general it was it was interesting to see the teams who were doing well in the wet and who weren't doing well in the wet i think you find a common thread especially in lmp2 the teams that weren't doing well in the wet but we'll get to that a bit later on (laughs) so talking talking p1 uh just to start with um once Toyota got through that little rain, rain shower, they were relatively untroubled, whereas the privateers had a little bit of trouble to contend with. So the rebellion, they, uh, firstly, there was that incident in the pits uh, where Norman Nato uh, came into the box way too quickly and cleaned up a mechanic. Uh, we've heard that the mechanic ended up with a bit of an injury, um, but is stable and okay, which is good to hear. Um, and then the other rebellion had, remember the full season rebellion, this is the number one, had electrical dramas late in the race that dropped them way down the order. So not, not an ideal start to the season for rebellion. Neither for uh, Janetta as well, but, mm. uh, yeah, I mean, rebellion, the, the, the only saving grace is that, I mean, they still get, I believe they still get the same amount of points they would have 
they didn't have the sister car in there? Am I correct, or do they, do they will, just get fourth place points? I'll double check. So they they only get they don't even get fourth place points. They get uh, oh, it's the overall right? The, yeah, or because the, the the P one teams uh, championship is actually oh, yeah. the prototype teams championship. So they got yeah. points for ninth position, tenth position. In fact, tenth they got position. points for tenth. Yeah. Yep. Um, wow. Whereas the sister car got a podium, uh, and then that's not the full season entry, so they don't get any. Uh, any points for that so in in terms of championship for rebellion that's not a good start but on the we'll talk about a a bit of a positive on that a little later on um but they weren't actually too far away from the toyotas before that incident though no i mean the the gap was still there and i think my estimate of by sebring we'll see we'll see equalization of pace i i think i'm still pretty pretty good on that yep um, even though I think Fuji coming up here and Shanghai will be really good for the privateers, and I, I just don't think I don't think they got the overall pace for it. So, but yeah, I, they were absolutely closer. Like, um, hopefully within a straightaway, you know, we're coming <laughs> yeah. up here in a few races. But uh, they're absolutely closer, one hundred percent. Yeah, and the gap at the end of the race between the two Toyotas and the number three Rebellion was only one lap, and we've seen WEC races in the hybrid era decided by bigger than that. So that's pretty encouraging, isn't it? It is. Um, and if if I could take a second, this feels like um, if you remember, like the the Lola Mazda, like uh, L- the Lola twelve or whatever chassis yeah. from like twenty thirteen LMS, like the swan song essentially of like. These are really, really fast LMP1s racing in America. We're not going to see these for a while in terms of like racing here, like in a championship. Enjoy this. It's the same kind of thing that I'm trying to do with the privateer, especially for this year and next year when it comes up. Because these things are mighty, mighty, mighty quick. And we're not going to see a lot of cars like this that are just, I wouldn't say cheaply built, but like in terms of their pace engineering and the amount of cost that it costs, you know, to build these things. Mm. They're they're like almost at the pinnacle of what you would think of just as like uh, just a race car engineering that is just raw. Like who cares about hybrid power, everything else, just throw in a really good engine, good aerodynamics, good suspension, good driver, good chassis, you know, and put out a good lap time. That's exactly what these privateers are. And so I'm I'm hopeful that we can see one of these things beat a hybrid just so we can enjoy that aspect of it. But man, these these cars are amazing to watch. Mm. I'm not even talking about the hybrids anymore. I'm talking about these privacy. Yeah. It's pretty scary to think that these cars are much faster than the last non-hybrid, uh, non-hybrid hybrid prototypes, the factory prototypes of the early 2010s and are at the level of, you know, the hybrids from two or three years ago. That's kind of scary to think about. They're, they're faster than R18s. Yeah. Like, ridiculous. Like, and, and you thought those were spaceships. And, and, and I mean, maybe, maybe credit to Toyota for, for making it dwarf, you know, making these things be dwarfed. But, like, you know, for me, I, I love looking at those privateer LMP1s. I think those are just, like, I think the absolute essence of what, Proto, like LMP, pro, you know, LMPs are. Yeah. And um, I'm going to miss them when, when they're done you know, after next year's season. So, it's yeah. Be a big change. Anyway, we'll get, we'll, yeah, we'll sure. talk about that. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, okay. So, how about Janetta then? Uh, Janetta, uh, I, I guess you typify their race by saying it was uh, unpolished, we'll say. Uh, they, they had one or two problems. They, ran into a few issues their pit stops weren't great their pace wasn't fantastic maybe their strategy could have been worked on but at the end of the day they finished ahead of the p2 field which was their goal um with the number five car 
and they had a respectable effort, maybe? Yep. 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 Seriously, it's about results, just generating that ecosystem. Because it's clear from what they've announced and projected at um, at Lamar and all of their all that stuff and everything that they've done pretty much since then, trying to get a third car at Lamar for next year. They're just trying to establish a clientele, build that ecosystem that is Janetta, and you know showcase that no matter what class they're in, they're going to produce a reliable and pretty quick, you know stable uh or, or like base of a chassis mm. and i think that's what that and i think that's what they're so far that, that that's what they're looking for i think by shanghai if everything is is coming together pretty nicely i think that that's a absolutely job well done from from that crew from what they've had to endure the last two years so but um yeah i mean i i my curiosity is peaked after the next after next season because it's clear that they're in the strategy of let's try to not necessarily win now but just like flood now yeah. like flood flood the market with our with our product let's see what happens after that and mm. i'm i'm curious to see if they go into the hypercar stage or if they just stick to lmp2 lmp3 but i i think they're they're just trying to build credibility and i think yeah. that's what silverstone was for them too fine they had some issues but Overall, they built credibility, which is exactly what they want to do and what they need to do. So. Yeah, and I think uh, their showcase of, you know, they they push pretty hard towards the fan aspect at, at Silverstone, of course. They had the, the fan zone open with a bunch of their old uh, Le Mans winning and championship winning cars in some other categories. So I think their GT1 winning car was there and uh, one or two other prototypes that they had. And then, of course... Getting us involved, <laughs> getting the r slash WEC on the car along with the Sports Car Worldwide uh, forum, and unfortunately, our friends at the the WC fan forum didn't get their sticker on the car, which was a real shame. But it was kind of funny uh, when they had that en- uh, that wheel nut problem, which was actually shorn off in contact on the first lap. Uh, that's why the tire came off. Uh, to to get a big old close up of our sticker on the car and a shout out from the official WEC Twitter. That was pretty funny. That was real cool. I like the engagement. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> a, I'll a take plus that. From, yeah, a plus from our field. So yeah, I mean, um, they just keep the sponsors happy. for the logo. Yeah. So I mean, I think I think that's I think that's been the main thing too. That it's it's uh you know like a lot of this stuff has happened kind of like naturally, but. A lot of it's just kind of just been things that, you know, yeah, we've we've thought about, but we've had a lot of really, really intelligent, smart people behind the scenes, too. Mm. They're just kind of like, oh, here, why don't you use this? Like, use this instead of that, and maybe that'll help. And it's it's clear that people have responded. So um, it's it, it's not just been a joint effort from a lot of the moderators. There's been a lot of other input. And uh, so to see it kind of be appreciated even by a lot of the official channels has been really, really awesome. So that's been a really really cool thing for us so absolutely yeah. like why not see our logo on there why not right? let's see toyota put it on there let's see po- <laughs> yeah like come on look uh, i'll they can do it we'll yeah challenge them. uh i i got in contact with uh our contact at janetta which sounds really really dumb to say um but <laughs> he's uh he fed back to me that the the overall response from not only the people at janetta 
including Lawrence Tomlinson and the the people in the PR department there, but also across the paddock. Like people apparently teams were interested in what was happening with the garage tours and with these these fan groups on the car, and it's it's really cool to see that level of engagement pick up. And then on top of that, on a personal note, the uh, and I'm sure this is the same for you as well, Cookie. The the fact that this uh, this forum, this subreddit that we we are a part of and that we've run for the last what five years has transformed from just you know a one or two thousand people talking about sports cars at the start of the 2014 season when I first joined to now having our logo placed on an LMP1 car like it was a really surreal experience for me and I'm sure you would echo that sta- statement wouldn't you yeah <laughs> yeah, we're just, we're just I, I, all I could say is just to you is just keep it uh, keep up the good work, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's not enough of it. It is. Yeah, I know, but it is it is it is extraordinary. I mean, because so much of it is is down to just kind of an individual effort and all of that. And and again, it's it's just we some of us are just kind of vessels for a lot of people's passion, and mm, I think that yeah. that has really been the key for a lot of our efforts and to try to get this community on the map is just because there's been so much talent and so much, you know, just inspiration from the users in the community and the people that are just kind of that, that breathe life into RWC. And I think that is kind of what, what has made this been such a really awesome ride so far. And it, and it it has just kept growing and kept going somewhere, you know? So, and that's been the, that's been the awesome thing for me is that it hasn't really quieted down. It just yeah. keeps getting more exciting as we go along. But, yeah, uh, it's no, really cool. I've, that 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 has yeah that has been the coolest experience so far for me as a sports car fan. So <laughs> it's a beautiful thing, man. Enough about us. Um, the Ooh, that was a lot of gushing. Yeah, it was a little bit of gushing. Uh, so at the end of the day, it was Toyota seven from Toyota number eight. They took another one two victory, a lap ahead of the number three rebellion. Remember, that's not the full season entry. Um, the number five Janetta ended up in fourth place, which will take third place points. Um, for the round, considering that the non-season, non-full season entry is invisible in the points. Uh, and then the number five and number six, uh, Rebellion, sorry, fifth place was number one Rebellion, six was the number six Janetta, which had a few issues. And in fact, I want to have a little bit of rant about, uh, just one of the, one of the issues that number six had, not in context of the number six, but in context of, uh, marshalling. So if that's okay with everyone, I'm just going to go for a little bit of a marshalling rant. You're right. You're ready. Yeah. So box badoom badoom boom. My turn. My turn to have a soapbox. Okay. So there was an incident. uh, I think it was about an hour left in the race where the number six went off at Luffield and got beached in the gravel there. Uh, And there was initial uh, initial concerns that there will have to be a a full course yellow or a safety car to recover that car. And then they managed to recover it under green flag conditions. Sorry, under local yellow conditions. Um, And then a lot of people in our chat room and in the race thread were like, whoa, that's scary. They're recovering a car under, you know, race conditions. That's under a live track. Like that shouldn't be allowed. What's going on the WEC? Now, I might have a different perspective to this as a, coming from a marshalling background, um, not just from a viewer background, but I, I firstly, I'll applaud the marshals there for doing a great job and getting the car back on track under race conditions. But I want to just give a little bit of insight to what would be happening behind the scenes in that sort of uh, incident. Um, 
just to sort of let you know what's going on and why they were able to do that. So, you know, I think I'll preface this by saying I think since 2014 and the unfortunate circumstances around uh, the Suzuka F1 race, uh, people have become a bit, maybe a bit too trigger happy with safety cars and full course yellows um, in order to protect marshals. I'm like, I'm not going to say that's a, a bad thing because, you know, at the end of the day, safety is paramount, but there is somewhat of a responsibility to keep a race flowing and to keep a race going. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm not, you know, saying we should be throwing marshals onto live tracks at all times. I'm not saying that. I'm saying in this situation, they did it smartly and they did it well. And that's why they were able to recover under green flag conditions or race conditions. Now, the reason I would say that is because there, I even, I even saw one of the guys in on the stream, they had someone there with a radio pack on them and they would be in constant communication with race control while that was happening. So firstly, the sort of questions they'd be asking from race control is, is it in a safe position? Uh, is the driver okay? Is the car running? Now, in all the, all three of those questions, the answer is yes, with maybe a, a sort of maybe around the safe position of the car. So it's off at Luffield, which is a pretty slow corner, but if there's nothing on the track, it's unlikely that another car is going to go off there again, especially under yellow flag conditions. Shouldn't be going off in yellow flag conditions. Second thing is, race control would be giving them a window saying you have a gap of 40 seconds, 50 seconds a minute to get to push the car back onto track if the car is still running. Now, they actually did a really, really good job there because there was that gap in, in traffic. And you could see when the cars, uh, sorry, when the marshals went out to the track that they stayed, firstly, they stayed behind the car. So if the car, if another car was going to go off and hit the Janetta, they'd be protected by the car already in the gravel. So that's firstly another, uh, another really good thing they did. But secondly, there wasn't any other cars coming along on track. So they found a window and they pushed the car out. They got it out. And by the time that the Janetta rolled off, and other cars were coming through, they were already back behind the barriers. So I want to say really, really good job to the marshalling team at that corner. Really, really good job to the race control for giving them the opportunity to keep the race flowing. And it wasn't as unsafe as some people may have made it out to be in our chat room and in the race thread. They they wouldn't put marshals out onto a live track if it wasn't safe. And I've seen numerous examples of races being neutralized, you know, erring on the side of safety, which is great. And because the last thing you want is uh, marshals putting themselves in danger. Um, but there is a way to do this safely. And at Silverstone, they did it safely. So that's my marshalling rant over. <laughs> no, I don't know. I th- uh, to to me, my rant would just be like that should be the norm i i I don't know i i think we as a collective group get used to how safe things are and then when we see something out of place we immediately jump on that saying how unsafe it is when the reality situation is that might have been unsafe if a chain of a chain of a chain would have broken you know when in 1950 1960 we ain't talking about four different chains we're talking about the marshal running on the track in front of a race car so you know like that's that's where I would go off where it's just like some of that is is nonsense. You obviously, you know, like you can throw a yell for anything. Yeah. And I, I, I think it's it's the role of a good race director to be able to decipher that. And I think yeah. uh Water Freddy's does a good job. So mm. good on and, it. And 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 as I said, if there was anything untoward that was going to happen, if the engine was off firstly, because if the engine's off then you need to pull the car out uh 
not on people power. You need you need to get it out of the way so that way it can be restarted safely. Um, and if there wasn't a gap, they would have neutralized it. But there was a gap, and the engine was still running, so that's that's perfectly fine. So I'm happy with that. I'm happy with how that went. Cool, cool. So that's that was the P1 race. Um, yeah. So Toyota lead the championship, of course, and then it's actually Janetta in second, which I think may come as a surprise, but. Hey, we'll roll with it. Um, we should talk about P2, because P2 was a cracking race from top to tail. Uh, it was just everything you could have ever wanted from a P2 race. And on debut, a debut winner in Cool Racing. Now, that's that's a pretty cool result. And you're going to get used to me making that joke throughout the uh... year. I know, right? <laughs> oh, do you want me to add more to that? Um, it was with a two-driver set, too. Yes. And... Oh, shocker. Oh, shocker. <laughs> Who was driving that? Nikolai Lapierre, of course. Hmm. Hmm. I, t- I think I said at the in the preseason that he was going to win a race. Didn't think he was going to be the first one. Yeah. Okay. That, All right, here we go. That was a fair surprise. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it was... <laughs> and I think they played the strategy with the two drivers perfectly. They had... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think it was uh, Borger uh, in the car through that really weird middle section where they couldn't really yep. gain much time. They had the safety cars and everything. And then they Perfect. put Lapaya in afterwards in the, the sort of intermittent conditions, and he just flew. He flew like a rocket. And he took the lead, and he never really looked troubled after that. Um, and as a part of that as well, it was only them and the Jumbo team, the Racing Team Netherlands car, that were on the lead lap in that mid-race safety car. So that's actually where they got their upper hand on their competitors, and they managed to just coast from that to the finish. It's... I, as much as I want, like... And that's the thing. I mean, I <laughs> even as I say it, I, I want to stress how, how good of a race Cool Racing drove. But then I look at this final classification sheet and the bottom of it, see that 22. And mm. man, I just want to know how that would have gone out because that car looked extremely quick and that driver lineup, I feel like, would have absolutely challenged the 42. And they had just a uh, electrical issue that pretty much drove them out of the race. But that was the one team, I think, if had if they had anything for them. Because, yeah, you're right, Lapierre was just cruising. Mm. Um it, you know, I think it would have been them, but beyond that, I mean, look, you gotta, you gotta finish the race and 42 absolutely did that. And then some against, I mean, some pretty stout teams, especially ones that, you know, even, uh, the, uh, team Netherland, right? Yeah. Switching to an Eureka finishing on the podium. Yeah. Straight away. Uh, like straight from the Dara into the, uh, the Orica and challenging for podiums. And they really should have got second place. Uh, not only did they have control of the race in the early part, in the wet weather conditions, while the Toyotas were struggling around on slicks, they were the fastest car on track. Job Van Utert was the fastest guy on the track in the wet conditions in a P2 car. Like that's crazy. That's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. And he's a silver. And it speaks, and it speaks for that chassis too. Mm. I mean, I, I, I wonder if Eureka can't find anybody for next year or from the year after that private car. Like that, that's should. what that that's that's what I'm saying, man. A lot of this is I feel like a lot of this is just weird positioning for some of these chassis manufacturers. Cause I'm telling you, that Oreka chassis has just I mean we we've documented. I mean, obviously, there's no really no more competition from chassis manufacturer for LMP2 really anymore. Mm. But the the level at which I mean, we're talking about another uh, best lap. I mean, sure, you could you could say that's the Dunlops or Mitchell entire war. But 
I'll still say that that is the pace of the LMP2s, and they keep finding more pace in that car. And that's just a really, really solid, stable LMP2 mm. chassis. It is. And on that note, on the solid and stable part, I think I read uh, after the race that uh, Fritz van Erd, who is the amateur driver, the very amateur driver for the Racing Team Netherlands car, he said that he found it so much easier to drive, so much more comfortable to drive, so much more stable, which enabled him to be quicker. And that's something that they're not finding in the Ligier or in the Dallara. They're finding, amateur drivers are finding it a lot more difficult to drive. So yeah, while Guido van der Garde can set fastest laps in a Dallara, when you put Fritz van Erd in, it's going to plummet down the order. Whereas with the Orica, Fritz van Erd was having an absolute blast. And it was only because they lost second gear very late in the race that they got passed for second position. They should have been in second place. They should have finished that race in second place. And that's a pretty good uh, debut uh, in a brand new car. And I think Racing Team Netherlands are going to be a force to be reckoned with this year as well. I mean, I bets on whether or not Centaur Racing goes to Oreca. I or, mean, seriously, what are they what are they doing in a Delara at this point? They're being Italians. They're being stubborn Italians supporting the Italian brand. That's that's literally what they've said. Uh, you know, when they did their uh, road to Le Mans documentary a few years ago that were basically like we're a group of Italians Italian team Italian drivers and Italian car going to Le Mans this is what we want it to be so that's why they're they're in the Delara and I don't think you'll see them switch give me give me two minutes real quick so this because I, I this is about the best time I can actually insert this so cool. the article came out what last week that uh what was the Delara main chassis engineer head designer whatever essentially came out and said that they had not fixed the balance issue. Well, that's freaking obvious. Um, but it, apparently it was in the nose. It's in the nose section of the car and it's under a lot of uh, top speed that essentially the, the front end becomes unstable. Mm. This is fixed with a balance, uh, with a balance change of the ICE in a DPI car. So essentially the GM V8 big block engine that essentially is a lot heavier than the Gibson um weighs down the back end more and apparently the how it makes the geometry of the car how it sits makes it so that that instability in the front end is a lot more lot less diminished so you get more of the potential of the car out huh. uh in a dpi chassis so and that the joker fixed about 30 percent of the issue but they were not able to resolve the rest of the 70 percent, which is why that they're still having this pace issue um which I think we all kind of concluded that, but it's it was really interesting to actually hear him come out and say that, specifically because there's two years left. They really can't do much more else with this chassis. They just have to Roll essentially nail the next one. Yeah. Right. So, but that that is that was really interesting, and I found that fascinating just reading that. So, a little insight as to the issues and woes that we've documented for years now in the LMP2 class since 2018, essentially, right? Yeah. So. And I do want to have like a proper the twenty seven regulation, the twenty seven LMP two regulations review at one point, and like really, debrief. yeah, and kind of talk about yeah. where the class was when those regulations were drafted and why they were drafted as they were, and where it's kind of got to. Um, because mm. I feel like that's a really, really good investigative sort of thing to to talk about. Um, because yeah, we kind of joked at the beginning of the WC that it would be Formula Orica and. You know, besides one or two cars for the last three seasons, it has been Formula Orica, and there's a reason for that. And the reason is the Orica is just much better. But why has that happened? That's, I think, a mm-hmm. really, really important discussion. Um, mm-hmm. But it wasn't just the Oricas, uh, the the new teams, and the Oricas being the 
mm, pardon me, the the guys to beat. It was specifically the Michelin tire seemed to have the edge. Yep. And if you look at the results, uh, the top finishing uh, Goodyear clad car was in fourth place. It was the number 37 Jackie Chan DC car with uh, Hoping Tong, Gabriel Aubrey and Will Stevens, who finished almost a minute down on the winner of the race. So now, uh, of course, there was that compression with the mid-race safety car after the uh, the rain shower, um, but it didn't seem like the Goodyear tyre has that development in it yet to be a competitive tyre compared to the Michelin. And we're so used to seeing the Dunlop dominate. Well, yeah, actually, I would say, I would say dominate in P2. Uh, so it is a bit... Uh, different to see the Michelins at the top. Uh, so yeah, what do you think on that note with the Goodyear tire? Uh, I'm not really that put off too much with it. I think the team I would have expected more pace out of was Jota. Yeah, JCDC I think is still have to find they have to find their kind of driver lineup. But even with Jota, I think that they need it. They probably need another race or two to to figure it out. And that's about it. I mean, they've they've got three uh three affiliated uh, teams in LMP2 versus a fleet of essentially Michelins. So already that's an uphill battle. Um, if it's a new compound like they say that it is, which I don't, I mean, I don't know. I think there's a little bit of PR in there, but if it is a new compound, then yeah, they're going to need a little bit of teething to it. But I I mean, if you're going to expect pace, I would say it's going to be, be out of the number 38. I'm not yep. going to say probably, I would say the 37, if they on a good day, maybe could do anything. So it's a 38, but I don't know. I just I I think that um, they're on kind of the, the, at least the Goodyear teams are on the same schedule with the Genetta teams, which just establish establish some you know some solid finishes, get data, and start developing maybe you know the Dunlop route, which was qualifying, start spamming that, getting that, or was it Michelin that really was good? On? Um, I think it was Dunlop that was good in qualifying. No, it was the other one. Uh, no, it was Michelin that was better at qualifying. Yeah, Michelin better in one Dunlop. lap, and then yeah, the Dunlop's better over a stint. Uh, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll just I'll just add something to this before we move on. Uh, the racing team Netherlands team at the prologue tested both tires because they hadn't got a contract for either, and then chose the Michelins based off of that that test at the prologue. So that says to me that the the Goodyears are yeah don't have that development edge to them yet, and we'll see them maybe come through throughout the year throughout the season and maybe at the beginning of next season we'll start to see the good year clad teams be a bit more effective um so lmp2 in the end went the way of cool racing number 42 car and then signatech alpine and racing team netherland then it was jackie chan dc jota settler racing and then the high class racing team were the last classified finishers with united autosports expiring on the first lap which was a shame for their wc debut now down to gte pro and a six car gte pro class for the season opener uh and it was about as frantic and crazy as we've seen in the past gte pro season so that just goes to show you don't need a lot of cars to make a fantastic class race uh at the front and at the end of the day it went to the Porsches, a 1-2 finish for the brand new 911 RSR. Honestly, completely out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, Porsche shouldn't have won that race. They had no right to win that race, besides the fact that they are Porsche. <laughs> well, no, they have, yeah, that's why. I mean, they're they're defending champions. They know how to win. Sure, it's a new car, but 
I mean, at the same time that it's a balance, it's a typically balanced neutral car. So, and it's not that different than what they've been driving before. Mm. I would say Aston Martin was probably more of the underdog to win this race than the Porsche team, even though I think that's a brand new car. So I, I understand your, your, your kind of angle with it, but I, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, Porsche winning, it doesn't seem that, that extraordinary. Well, okay. I'll, 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 like, I'll, context- yeah. I'll contextualize what I said by saying, uh, by adding the team that should have won because they were easily the quickest car over the weekend were Ferrari. They dominated qualifying. Yep. They dominated the race. And it was a incident for the number 71, which with the Janetta, which put them out of the race, uh, that stunted their attack. And then a late race penalty for a full course yellow infringement that was cancelled as the penalty was being taken is the reason why the AF Corsa cars ended up finishing off the podium because they were the class of the field and they had a nightmare race. Yeah, about as bad or poorly contrived luck as you could possibly have at a race. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it was, It. I mean, through no fault of their own, I mean... In, in ways, it feels, you know, it almost had that, like, Rizzy at Le Mans kind of feel where yeah. you're like, oh, no, and they just see him just driving the wall, that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you weren't wrong. They uh, they were definitely, uh, I mean, when he went into qualifying to almost going, looking at the free practice times and then seeing them back that up with the qualifying time, it just kind of went, all right, so hopefully the rain or something messes up their pace. And, yeah, while there was some intermittent stuff, it was really just crazy stuff, almost sometimes out of their control that they really had no ability to come back from. So yeah, well, but I mean, the, that's what that's how you win a race, though. That's how Porsche wins. Yeah, the races. it's it's just about you know executing where you can. And I mean, the incident between the fifty, uh, sorry, the seventy-one and the number six, uh, that was entirely on the Janetta driver. There, there is no way you can make a dive to the inside at uh, maggots. And it's on the inside of a GT car that's already turning in and expect to come out with both cars unscathed. And that was, that was pretty rough. And I think, I think it was, uh, David A. Regon, who was not in the car, who got interviewed while they were cleaning up the car, was pretty scathing in his review of, I think it was Oliver Jarvis's driving at that point in the race. And yeah, the, the penalty, the penalty that got cancelled while they were taking it, like, even with the drive-through penalty, the AF Corsa number 51 car, only finished, I think it was 16 seconds away from the lead, which is less than a drive-through penalty. So I would put my money on that car finishing the race and winning the race had it not been for that penalty. But even still, the battles that we had in GTE shows that even with a reduction in cars, we have lost nothing in the quality of GT racing. And it was an awesome race to watch from, from a fan perspective, I think. No, I mean, I, I honestly, I, I think... I mean, and this just this is just an argument for another day, I think, too. But just the the, the minimum amount is five or six. If you, as long as you've got five to six competitive cars in a class, you will have an entertaining race throughout whatever stint you're going to have it. And the thing too is that this is this is a world championship, and the final race is is the biggest one too. So we we have the ability to ramp up the you know the excitement. And if this is what we start with. I mean, bring it on. Bring the rest of the season on. I can't wait for the season finale. Hell so. yes. Hell yes. I, I And even looking uh, at Le Mans, just uh, even though it's so far away, uh, 
depending on what's going on in the IMSA side of things, we'll probably get another two cars from Corvette, maybe another one or two from Porsche, maybe BMW even come across for a race, and maybe even another one from Risi. So that's like five or six cars extra to that class um, for Le Mans, which is going to be pretty exciting. It'll definitely bolster up that grid and turn it into another GTE slugfest. I mean, but remember before we, I remember when we only had Corvettes coming over. So, mm, I mean, exactly. we're, we might only be back to that. I, I think the core core guys will come back over again, but remember we'll have the C8R. So yeah. that's a brand new, we'll have a new car for the WC that will show up for that race. So that will be all, you know, a, a thing in itself just to see that gets uh, balanced against everything else and how a mid-engined American uh, sports car will, uh, will compete. An, a true American production sports car, let's say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ford fans, mm-hmm. yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm no. I seriously, I mean, like, I, I think the last the super season has, you know, if it hasn't humbled you in terms of what you're looking for from an actual race fan, it, it's at least brought you back into like what history has has shown, which is these things. Well, it's a cycle thing, but yeah, there is a minimum amount of enjoyment that you can get from this, and if you can find, especially the competitive aspect this far exceeds that minimum you know this is this is really this is really good racing from this class yeah and it's gonna be it's gonna be good i'm still still excited for gte and not just in gte pro with the all pro outfits but also gtm 11 car gtm field and boy did they put on a show uh yeah that was back and forth it was it was crazy, wasn't it? I think at the early stage of the race, there was five cars nose to tail heading down the hangar straight, just jostling for position, fighting each other. It was really, really cool. And I think as well, because of the relatively low car counts in the the pro classes, GTEM got a lot of coverage, and it was good that it got a lot of coverage because there was a lot going on. Right. I mean, there was, I think, how many different leaders? Uh, I mean, there had to been over a f- four or five half the field i think half the field at one point yeah that i mean i i remember the red aston martin leading i remember the the green aston martin i there was so many different makes that were leading at at one point throughout and especially the shots down the hangar straight where you'd see clusters like three gtms just all battling with themselves and you had prototypes trying to pass them and all that it was just it was awesome i mean that is, and again, the grid counts are fantastic, and that and that's what it's about. But if you can capture the competitiveness, which you know, m- almost every all these classes bar LMP one have have captured that competitive aspect of it, and just add cars to it, you get this insane just brew of different like strengths and weaknesses around Silverstone. I mean, and I can't wait to go to to Fuji and Shanghai to see the long straights really, you know, exacerbate those strengths and weaknesses oh, further, yeah. but. We've had and yeah yeah you're absolutely right. This was an an insane race for GTM, and I really I think the last hour I did not think I'd see the 83 winning. Honestly, really, I no, I didn't I didn't think it was inevitable, but I thought it was definitely on the cards. Uh, like the the results show that the 83 won by a lap, but that's mostly because of where it fell in terms of the the overall right. leader coming to the end. Uh, the reality was that it was more like maybe five, six seconds. But with the way that the 83 had run that race and having uh, Nielsen in the car at the very end, who has been showing amazing turns of pace in the ELMS, uh, I I kind of saw it, yeah, not as an inevitability, but it, it, it was on the cards and it was a great return to form for uh, Francois Perotto and Emmanuel Collard returning to GTEM after a few years in the P2. 
Oh yeah, I mean that that lineup too mm. is is good. I I don't think it was unexpected for that lineup to win. Mm. Uh, I'll I'll say that, but um, I I thought the way that the GTM Astons kind of handled their first race, essentially with with how the amateurs handled that car, I thought that was really promising, mm. and I thought maybe that we'd see a little bit more of that late pace um uh, or the late race pace i'm sorry yeah. kind of get unlocked from the aston a little bit more than i than it did but um right, it's just encouraging all around from the class and it, it good to see the new cars have pace off the get-go too yeah and so it, the 98 aston martin finished second with the brand new driver lineup remember so dalalana now with darren turner and ross gone and they were really impressive the as you said the tf sport aston martin was competitive in the early stages but kind of fell away at the end i actually had them listed as third place but i must have missed messed that up because they actually finished in seventh um it was the uh mr racing car that completed the podium with ishikawa olivia beretta and kay cosolino um from cargo racing in the asian Le Mans series last year so in his first full run at wec getting a podium was pretty impressive but oddly enough no Porsches uh, at the head of the field. The leading Porsche was the Golf Racing number 86 car, and they were in the box seat to finish second until a late puncture. Oh, no, sorry. It wasn't a puncture. It was a no, splash and dash. Splash and go. Yeah. yeah they should have They should have finished second. That was just strategy. Yeah, really unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, less less of a, a boon for the Porsches, especially considering last year, Porsches were basically the car to beat for most of the season. I think they I think there isn't too much of a cause for concern, let's put it that way. I think they've got um beyond that, they've I think they they still have the pace. And I mean, yeah, if they didn't splash and go, I mean, we're talking three different makes in the first uh for all three podium positions. Yeah. So I think the balance is there. They just need to pull up a complete race and I think the other three teams out of them just did it just that much better. Yeah. And I've got to say as well, the 83AF Corsa car looks amazing as well. <laughs> i just got to say it. <laughs> well, now not the Golf. Golf looks like the other Project 1s or something like that. Yeah. So we'll talk, like, we'll talk about Project that. 1 then. Yeah. We'll talk about it a bit when we look ahead to Fuji uh, about why that might be. Um, but we'll just finish up Silverstone. Uh, a few new drivers in this class as well over the course of the race. Who of the new drivers impressed you the most, do you think? Well, I mean, you shouted out Proto and Kolar coming back, so obviously got to give a shout out to them. I mean, the the MR Racing Crew to have a podium, um, kind of out of the get go like this, I, I that would probably be my standout crew at least, or at least yep. give him a nod for you know, and and hopefully some confidence moving forward. Um, that would pro- probably be who I'd pick. I mean, there was just there was so many kind of like just spurts of brilliance from a lot of different teams and drivers that it's hard to pick kind of a of a team but if i if i'm gonna go the am gentleman driver route i'll definitely pick the the team number 70 ferrari so nice yeah i was i was really impressed with kay cosolino uh yeah as i mentioned for a first time out in a full wc entry that was really really impressive stint from him i gotta i gotta go back to to nielsen actually uh I, i'm not sure on his first name and i don't want to mess it up because that would be bad. His efforts in the the number eighty three car, the winning car, I that was really really impressive, and it's just a continuation of what he's been able to do in the ELMS. So I'd give him uh, the big ups from me. But yeah, that's that's the who Danish Nicholas Nielsen. Yes, that would be him, Nicholas Nielsen. <laughs> yeah, just, super silver. 
Yeah, yeah, probably. I, I, I'd say that. Yeah, definitely. What about what about your mates in the the number fifty seven Project One car, the Keating Fraga Blake and Wallen car? How do you how do you feel about their result? Oof, that feels like a uh, that feels like a crone. I mean, they got the number for it, so Oof, uh, it yeah. kind of feels like a crone result. But um, well, you rem- mean- remember they didn't compete in qualifying because they had a broken flywheel yeah. or something in that car, which meant that they started from the pit lane a lap down. So that's not at all surprising where they ended up considering that. But yeah, yeah it's hard hard to make up that time, especially when you're in the BOP class. Yeah. No, I mean Keating had a great time. So if that's anything to go by, then I don't I, I don't think that the spirits were any any down from the results, even though they were awful. <laughs> but um, it, it seemed like the spirits of the team leaving the uh, leaving the circuit after the race were fine. So I think they uh, they enjoyed probably the first round. And again, I think this is Ben's first time being in Silverstone, or maybe this is the second. But um, he's kind of going on this world tour, so I'm sure. Even if they don't have a great result, as long as he's on the track having fun racing, that's going to be a good result for him. So, but yeah, I, I look for a lot more from this this crew. This 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 crew should absolutely get a podium and try to be competing for a class win, not in not too not too distant future. future. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, cool, really cool race in GTM. Uh, winners, as we mentioned, a of course a eighty three. Uh, it was a ninety eight, and then the seventy taking home the rest of the podium. And then it was uh, the two Porsches Golf Racing eighty six, and then seventy seven uh, fourth and fifth, and then the fifty six car in sixth. So a trio of Porsches there, and then a lot of other cars that you can sift through yourself. So looking ahead to Fuji now, Fuji is this weekend. We have been that tardy. We are sorry. Uh, the first six-hour event of the season. Uh, I think it's one of only three this season that we've got six-hour events. Is that right? Because we got six hours at Fuji, six hours at Shanghai, six hours at Spa. Yes. Yes? Yep. Yes. Correct. Cool. Um, so three six-hour events. This year, um, there are, firstly, straight off the bat, some performance changes in P1. So this is part of the new performance adjustment system that they're doing for the prototype category. Um, I just want to go back and find the details on it. Um, the, the long and short of it is that they are balancing the car's expected best lap time now. So because Toyota have such a big advantage... Um, they have a bigger cutback in their expected race time. The handicaps are based on the overall finishing order for the cars. So that means that it's... And it's only for the championship cars as well. So that means that the number... The Toyotas are going to be 1.4 seconds slower per lap than their expected maximum. So this they're they're kind of adjusting the performance based on what they would maximally get. That was great work sentencing that as well. Um <laughs> far out. I'm doing well. So the the number seven is gonna be one point four seconds slower. The number eight is gonna be one second slower. So it's gonna be and they're not adjusting it by ballast, it's through hybrid energy per lap fuel flow rate and a pit fuel restriction at the pit stops. So we should see a overall dampening of the Toyota's pace 
So that will be interesting to see. The Janetta is going to be uh, slowed as significantly as well, um, aiming to get a two-thirds of a second drop in performance, so 0.66, which will be mostly due to a weight increase. And then the number one Rebellion with a tiny 0.03 second adjustment uh, because I finished 10th overall. So the the long and the short of this is that we should see the Toyotas be much less sprightly uh, across the entire lap and the Rebellions basically untouched. Yes. Now, what that means for ultimate race pace at lap time will be left to determine. But it is, I mean, on paper, that is a substantial amount. Um, I mean, when when you think of how, how much you have to earn back pace if you, you know... Lose a tenth here, lose a tenth there, that kind of thing. So, yeah, um, yeah uh, I think this solves a lot of problems <laughs> <laughs> if you can do this correctly. And, um, yeah, this will be the next, like I said, the next two, three rounds. Fine, we might not see the pace of the of the privateers win overall, but if you're seeing meaningful pace reduction from the Toyotas, I think that will turn a lot of heads uh, where you can find that equilibrium and you can find that, you know, almost a relaxation of spending. Yeah. Because at this point, it's still, you know, the, you, you have to prove it to people that you don't have to spend as much as Toyota does to win here. So um, until that happens, until we start seeing privateers spending factions as Toyota does win, I, I don't know. I think there's more to be desired, but mm. we're, we're on the right path. Yeah, and so so for some context, uh, the fastest lap difference between the Toyotas and the Rebellion, we'll isolate the Rebellion because it's a little easier because they're basically not getting changed. The fastest lap difference was about 1.4 seconds, which is the, the, the marker that they're at now. Uh, well, sorry, that should be the difference where they're at for Fuji. Um, last year at Fuji, because Fuji is a slightly shorter lap, the margin between the fastest lap was also, funnily enough, 1.4 seconds. Um so that's a pretty close marker if we're going to if we're going to see some absolute pace uh, sorry, there pr- should be pretty close on absolute pace. But the thing is, it's not just absolute pace. It's going to be how these cars react to the changes over the course of a stint. So I still think the Toyotas are going to have an advantage simply because of passing traffic and being more consistent, etc., etc. But they should be a lot closer in terms of where they should be on track. Yeah, for sure. That that. In itself, like I said, you know, and I, I'll keep reiterating this until I, <laughs> until the season ends. But like, it will just be so interesting to see the the privateers essentially just wipe the floor with the Toyotas <laughs> in overall pace, yeah. but then lose during the race because they can't overtake traffic as good, or you know, and then in intermittent conditions and et cetera, et cetera. Like, we will absolutely get to a point where the privateers will should simply just be faster than anywhere than these hybrids, but still get beat. So I, I think we will have to get to that point, and then we start seeing privateers win. But until then, we're, I mean, you know, it's just going to be so strange. Like, I, I think we as race fans are going to see some pretty unique things in the next year and a half to two years. Like, I, I genuinely think things will be really interesting um, for race results, especially with all the changes we're doing and with the race mm. and the success ballast. So... 
Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting time for the next few rounds of the WEC. Uh we have only one rebellion. Uh the the other team car well sorry, the full season car not getting entered for this round. Uh and there's a few changes in the driver lineups for Janetta. So for example, uh I think Luca Giotto, who is a Formula Two driver, is getting slotted into the number six Janetta which is moving, which I think is moving Oliver Jarvis over to the number five. It's it's not confirmed on the entry list, so I'm not 100% sure, but I think that's how that is going to be working out. Uh, so at the end of all this, uh, we are only a few hours, well, a few days away from Fuji, uh, the Fuji event. Uh, any any brave predictions, do you reckon? Uh, uh, let's see... It's not going to be LMP1. <laughs> That's my brave prediction. Uh, my brave prediction will not be an LMP1. Um, I will say a uh, a Goodyear podiums. Ooh. And I will say that an Aston Martin wins. Ooh. Pro. Those That's are my two bold predictions. Pretty bold. Um, would that change if I mentioned to you that it's meant to be intermittent showers and patchy rain on the Sunday in Fujisan? Oh, son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> well, yes, probably not the Aston Martin then. But <laughs> yes, I'll still say the Goodyear podiums. Goodyear podium? Cool. Yes, I'll Ooh. say Goodyear podium. That is probably not really a hot take. but <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know. I mean, it could have attrition and then also the Goodyear just podiums because it's there. But yeah, I don't know. It'll be if, it's, if, it, if it's intermittent, then no, I don't think Aston Martin can do it. But if it's not... I. I'll stick with my thing saying S. Martin Woods. Maybe <laughs> okay. they podium. How about that? I mean, they podium this this week. They podium this. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> fine. Fine. Ah, brilliant. So How yes. About you? What, uh, do you have any bold predictions? Since you asked me. Oh, I think uh, I think the rebellion number one splits the Toyotas at the end of the race. No. I'm I'm being bold. I'm saying I'm being bold. That um, means they have race pace. They did have race pace. They were leading in the Silverstone race, you know, for oh, three corners. I mean, strategy. That's all strategy. That's yeah. not like, that's not outright. They didn't go past anybody. Get out of here. I'm, I'm going to stick to that. Uh, and <laughs> I think, I think racing team Netherlands either get first or second. Okay. That's solid. Nah, that's a decent take. And, uh, and I think Porsche win GT. Oh wow! GTM, okay, GTM. Wow. Come... Oh, okay, okay, okay. I was so ready for you to say pro. <laughs> oh no, I'm, 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 I'm. That's that wouldn't be a bold position uh, p- prediction. That would just be correct. Yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> wow. Moving on. Okay, so that's uh, that's ch- a chat about the WEC. Uh, course race is this weekend. Um, we will have the usual race thread treatments up over the weekend and keep your eyes out. Uh, if you haven't done fantasy WEC, make sure you do that. It's going to be closing before qualifying this event because Clarkson, uh, MW Clarkson won't be awake during qualifying because, you know, he has a real life and all that sort of stuff. Um, and yeah. also, uh, keep your eyes on the WEC Twitter account and the new Reddit WEC Twitter account. We made a new Reddit Twitter, uh, Reddit WEC Twitter account because we got locked out of the old one because no one can remember the password from five years ago. Um, so and a phone number. So- somehow we all forgot a phone number. I don't even know how that happens. 
I even wanted to use my phone number, and then we use somebody else's, and we don't even know who it is. It's been lost to the sands of time. Uh, so make sure you jump on the new WC Twitter account. It's at Reddit underscore WEC. And yeah, get involved over there as well, because, you know, we actually have a presence there, which is kind of scary. No, if you have Fuji, take pictures, guys. Take mm. pictures of the back of those Janettas and, uh, you and know, tag us, tag in, us them. in them. Yeah, and also... Yeah, we uh, we want to see them. Yeah, and ta- also make sure to tag our friends at the Sports Car Worldwide Forum and uh, the WC Fan Forum uh, because it's not just us in this adventure. It's also them as well. So make sure we give big ups to those guys as well. So shall we start the big massive huge catch up on elms like we did imsa a few weeks ago big ups big ups okay so it's been so far that we haven't talked about elms that the round that we need to start with is barcelona which was in late july (laughs) jesus (laughs) yep sorry um okay go ahead yeah (laughs) So the first, at our... the first thing I want to chat about is day-to-night transition race on the Saturday. How did you feel yes. about that? Yes. 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 More. Yeah. More. 100%. I want, I want more. I want, I want like half the season to be that. So. It was so cool. It was so cool. Like yeah. starting in the late afternoon in the Spanish sunrise, it was a, a sunshine. Oh, paint that sunrise. picture. Paint oh, that picture. It was, it was, uh, I would, I would say... <laughs> I would say very good in Spanish, but I only know it in Italian, so I'm not going to do that. Um, it was okay. it was really really cool, and then you know the the transition through sunset, and then the the last half an hour of the race in full darkness. Like we need to do more of that because it was sick. Um, but then don't invite the 26. Yeah, because they would just win again. <laughs> they yeah, they were was... they were dominant. It was kind of crazy. Yeah, by a lap ridiculous and it wasn't even by a lap with some funky timing either it was like by a lap and then the next car was a lap down and also 30 seconds so they were just crazy i think uh the the three of them that race were just untouchable and boy it showed yeah i mean there were some close battles but it was not at the head of the field Mm. at all and the close battles were for the rest of the uh the podium so well graph pretty solidly took second place they were pretty strong throughout the race but it was cool racing versus duquesne engineering uh fighting for that third place and it was on the last lap that cool racing with nicola lapier at the wheel of course got the move (laughs) done on duquesne engineering uh, to take that third place now both of those teams have been real up-and-coming teams in the ELMS uh, in the last few seasons, and they're going to be a, a real force uh, for the ELMS for, well, spoiler alert, for the rest of the races we're going to talk about, and hopefully for the next season as well. Well, Duquesne will be here for how, like, the next six years. Yeah. I, have, I mean, whether or not they be they still maintain their LMP2 team after they solidify their LMP3 clientele who knows but they are clearly uh a prototype an lemon prototype manufacturer now for lmp3 and uh and a sponsor of or a team runner i guess and a very very good one at that so yeah i have no doubt duquesne will be up there and cool racing has now applied a pretty awesome pedigree if you even just want to look at just this year alone so Mm. 100%. Both of those teams, I can't disagree uh, with you at all. Yeah. Uh, I think the biggest problem for Decane Engineering's P2 hopes will be trying to hold on to Pierre Rags as the Super Silver because, boy, damn, he was rapid in that race. 
Yeah, there. It's just going to be. Ha- it's going to be a revolving door. They're going to have to find somebody else to fill that. And whether that's going to be next year or the year after that, they're going to have to find somebody to replace them. I just yeah. don't think there's any way he can hold on to a silver status for too much longer. Yeah, and that's and always the these. problem, isn't it? Yep, holding yep. on to that silver or, status. Mm, isn't it in life? That's what we say. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're this is a silver-rated podcast until one of us gets made pro. <laughs> man wait i thought last time i checked i was bronze <laughs> oh i'm not even gonna bother uh, bother with that because there's nothing i can say that would make that any better uh, okay good yeah how about hey talk about the um talk about united auto sports this is their last uh i think uh lige only yes so uh, this race, was this was before the whole uh, announcement that United Auto Sports was changing from Ligier to Orica in the WEC. Uh, so this was, yeah, the last race that they competed with just Ligiers, and they finished 7th and 8th, um, uh, two laps down on the lead. So not not the best showing in their final Ligier-only race, but as we talk more about what's coming next in the ELMS, uh, we'll see that... It's very telling where those cars are on relative pace, I think. Yeah, the evolution of mm. United Autosports the next couple of races are going to is going to be telling. Yeah, 100%. Uh, quick touch on LMP3. Uh, I think... I'll, I'll just have a quick uh, little spiel about LMP3. I think LMP3 is a, se- uh, is a series more for the drivers, not necessarily for watching, because it is very hard to track when you compare it to uh, LMP2 and the GTE regulations and also how much screen time they get and on top of that the fact that you have like weird pit stop compulsory times for certain stops makes it hard to keep an eye on until the very end of the race but at the end of the race it was a really really cool race at the end there well lmp3 LMP is in general just difficult to follow just because some of the paint schemes are just very carbon fiber so like i mean you to differentiate some of them anyway yeah but uh no yeah i in Interesting enough, too, the the Ligier Norma battle continues on. Yeah. Um, just just when we thought that the Normas almost would have the the edge in the LMS, uh, kind of just back and forth. Uh, the Ligier kind of looked like it was a pretty decent chassis to have, you you know. Um, but realistically, it, the inter-Europol competition as well as United Auto Sports and I think, but well, one of the Nielsen Racing uh, squads have been really, really good this year. Mm. Also, Edge I, I, still show this year. Yeah, also at, this, at this run, I'm sorry. That's all right. Should also shout to the Euro International, not inter-Europol Euro International, because they like confusing us with their names. Um, they were leading the championship into this round and suffered an engine failure. Um, I, I think it was diagnosed in the end as a head gasket failure, which saw them DNF and their direct competition in the championship was the race winning into Europe competition car, which only took the race right at the very end as the United Autosports cars started to fall away big time in that last stint. So really, really big loss in the championship for Euro international as the Euro in, into Europol car took the win. Yeah, and uh, and thank you for jogging my memory with the United Auto Sports because I remember that being a big, big thing at the end of the race that they were they just couldn't hold the pace, mm. um, and were and kind of fell off from the lead in LMP3. So, but yeah, a, a solid win from the 13 squad, and 
definitely one that they needed for the championship. Yeah. Uh, they ended up taking the championship lead on, at the end of that race. We'll talk more about the t- championship when we get to the end of this ELMS spiel. Um, in GTE, though, it was another dominant performance from Luzic Racing uh, with the extremely heavy car at this point uh, gaining the win pretty comfortably 40 seconds over the JMW Motorsport and the Spirit of Race Ferrari. So Ferrari 1, 2, 3. Uh, now, has... What is your opinion on the success ballast in the GTE class of LMS? Um, Lucid's Racing coming into this race had 15 kilos as the LMP, uh, the GTE leader. They had, uh, oh, let me just go back and have a look. See, they had 15 kilos as the Paul Ricard race winner, and they had another five kilos as the Monza third place. So they were carrying an extra. 35 kilos in that car and they were still able to run away with it do you think the success ballast is working or is it um or lose it's just that good um yeah i think it's the latter um i just think that they're they're doing what they need to do to win uh that the car itself is not um i i don't think the car itself is providing the edge um you know to an effect that like the success balance is negligible, uh, you know, yeah. is negligible. So I definitely think that it's the drivers, the setup and the crew that are providing the edge that they need to continue winning, even when faced with a slower car than they had at the beginning of the season. Um, so yeah, I think the short answer is no, I don't think that there's an issue. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just think that they're doing really well. Just to, just to add a bit more context to that. Um, the number 77 car also had 35 kilos, um, for being in a similar position to the Lucic racing cars, having won at Monza, having come third at Paul Ricard and second in the championship. Um, actually they would have been leading the championship because they got points for pole position. They finished in sixth that race at Barcelona. So they struggled with the extra weight. Um, so is it a Ferrari thing or is it just a, a lose it racing thing? I think it's just a lose it yeah. racing thing. Yeah I, yeah, I, I, I think so too. I just, I, I don't see unless the, the pace is similar where they're just not able to extract it. I mean, the, the, there's fast lap pace there. It's just, a, it is the weight now throwing the balance off where they can't maintain that kind of pace. We'll see. I mean, you know, by all intents and purposes, they should now have a better car in comparison to others in terms of weight. So does this help them or hurt them? We'll find out next next find round. Find out next or... round at Silverstone. We'll jump straight into Silverstone. Boom. Um, uh, yes, yeah, smash cut. Uh, so Silverstone, similar to the WC race, was just a wild and crazy race. There was a rain shower about 10 minutes into the race. And they, it just basically forced the entire fields onto wets straight away. And the teams that didn't come in for wets, the, the Dragon Speed car, especially, who were leading the race already at that point, they lost mountains of times in, in the early part of that race. Uh, so coming onto wets was definitely the right call for those teams. Um, but once the rain shower went away, the race kind of settled into a rhythm. And then there was another incident. Uh, on the entrance to Maggots. So we talked about the one in the WEC, uh, a similar incident again, this time between a P2 car and a P3 car. I think it was the number 24 Panas Bartes competition, Ligier, and the uh, number three United Autosports car, I think it was. Um, there wasn't a penalty applied in the end, but uh, what was your opinion on the incident? Uh <sighs> 
uh, two cards occupying the same space at the, at the same time do definitely do not mix. Um, Especially on the in the on the entrance to one of the fastest corners on Silverstone. Yeah, I mean the overtaking cars should have the um, uh, how you say you know the responsibility. the responsibility is on them to complete the overtake uh, safely. So from that manner, yes, I I would have to place it on P two, but. I I don't know. I just we're, we're, that was not the first and you know uh, of uh, incident of the weekend that happened there, um, and it just seems to be a closing speed thing. Uh, but I think yeah. that the 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 main takeaway should just be that is a dangerous spot, um, not necessarily where you know for anybody to do overtaking, but just where you can kind of lose track of you know where you are in relation to other cars that you might be overtaking traffic or come uh, you know competitors otherwise so maybe some more uh driver debriefing next time just reinforcing that is necessary um and maybe reinforcement of barriers would probably do yeah. good too because there was a lot of hard contact that i think could have been avoided if we put at least even some tire barriers there yeah so. i i would agree with that there wasn't actually any tire barriers on that section of the wall because you don't expect a car to go off there like that unless there's been contact um just for a little bit more context on the incident compared to the one the wec it was not a side-to-side sort of impact that we saw between the Janetta and the uh, AF Corsa in the wec it was more of a nose to tail sort of thing so it was very much the United Autosports P3 taking the racing line while the uh, P2 car was trying to get up the inside, kind of chopping the nose off. And I don't think they made contact uh, rear left to front right. I think it was more nose to tail in the middle of the corner because of that kind of swooping motion. So I can see why you might not apply a penalty in that instance because you're not you know taking out the car it is a closing speed sort of thing um but yeah i think just in general it needed to be you you need to be a bit more careful especially at, at a corner with that sort of speeds uh and that sort of speed difference heading into it right i mean and it, you know the context is everything so mm. the person behind the wheel too if it's an lp3 car chances are they're there's going to be a lack of experience there's going to be a lack of knowledge in terms of what to do or even how to handle a a a potentially you know hairy situation that you're putting them in and you know there are places on the track where it's really not you know it's tit for tat in terms of how dangerous it is but that is one part of the circuit where it's 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 not good to mess you know with split second decisions like that especially when you you know it's not a necessarily professional behind the wheel who you're battling or just trying to overtake so yeah I think um, unnecessary risk is not is not is not where i'm after so if any punishment abuted towards the p2 but yeah. I don't know. Racing incident. They, they did end up calling it a racing incident, which I think is the most correct uh, application of the rules. Um, I wouldn't have been, you know, too annoyed if the Panas Bathurst car had gotten a penalty, but I didn't necessarily think a penalty was entirely justified. So yeah, we'll go with racing incident. Um, what they did do is that brought out a safety car, um, and then the old adage, safety car breeds safety cars. There was a major bust up on the restart heading into the Brooklyn's Luffield, pardon me, section of the track, um, which saw the cool racing car head lock the rear wheels heading down the inside of a P3 car, spinning, laying perpendicular to the track, and then got impacted hard in the side by the Duquesne engineering car, which saw both cars get retired from the race. Uh, 
fortunately, neither driver was significantly injured. Um, however, the driver of the cool racing car, um, Alex Cogni, I hope I've said that correctly, um, had a suspected fractured pelvis from the incident. So he didn't race at the last round of the LMS in Spa. He didn't race at Silverstone. And I don't think he's going to be racing at Fuji either. Um, so, yeah, what was your take on that incident? Firstly, is anyone at fault for an incident like that? No, 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 no. I mean, no, you, you, you the, the only thing you could do is, I mean, if there is anything to do, would be to try to look at something in the future, try to slow these cars down. But again, we already have the amount of tech in there. It's just kind of spatial awareness. So, I mean... <laughs> You only have a few milliseconds to react, and if there's a car that just kind of plops right in the apex, and you're doing seven, you know, eighty kilometers an hour, you know, trying to hit that apex and go to the other one, not paying attention to it, and it's right in front of you, you're gonna hit it. So, no, I, I don't really have an issue, and you know, to cause the spin either, they're fighting for position, heading in the braking zone. I, again, I. Well, that's the thing, though. It wasn't. It wasn't a fight for position. It was Kanye trying to pass traffic after the restart. So you know, cold tires, P three's ahead of him, compressed field, and that's where the brake lockup happened. Is because he was trying to pass a car on the inside that didn't see him and shut the door. So that's where yeah. the incident came from. Now, I'm I'm going to pose this to you. Do we, with the size of the prototype grids in the ELMS, do we need? to start thinking about splitting the fields for restarts. So setting it up so that way it's all the P2s ahead of all the P3s ahead of all the GTs. No. I don't know. You'd have to you have to give me a more compelling argument than it, you know, than some people taking some some potential dive bombs against P3s in an Well, okay, how about how about I say you're going to you're going to if in the ELMS especially, maybe more so than in the WEC, you're going to have very amateur drivers, comparatively, um, in P3 machinery on cold tires who may not be used to restarting a car in those sort of circumstances. Uh, so it is somewhat more likely that you're going to see this happen. Uh, so does that change your argument at all? No, because no. then you have IMSA cautions, and I hate IMSA cautions. So. <laughs> I thought that might be the answer. I mean, to be <laughs> for full disclosure, I don't think so either. I just think it might be something that the series might start sure. to think about. Because yeah, it was a it was an accident driven by a compressed amount of traffic on cold tires after a restart, which caused a driver to break their pelvis. So. Oh yeah, I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not dissuading the injury at all. I, it's just, I mean, like, that's that's just the name of the game with racing, and especially yeah. when you have a bunch that feel like that. Even you know, it doesn't even have to be. They could have been fighting for position, or they couldn't have been. It could have been a GT just not seeing him and just punching him out. I mean, that's going to happen when you restart. Yeah. So, to me, it's it, you know how it started. Sure, you could you could affect you could look at that, but I think that would be separate. You you almost have to look at the car sliding into the other car in the apex as one thing and the actual kind of start of the accident as another thing, in my yeah. opinion, because yeah. otherwise, you know, then you're kind of conflating the two. So, yeah, that's fair enough. I, I, I'd run with that. Um, yeah. So luckily, wow. yeah, luckily neither driver was, well, I, I guess a fractured pelvis is a serious injury. And by the way, if you haven't seen the race, if you ha there's an onboard shot of the cool racing car as, as that accident happens, and that is terrifying. The the sort of impact that uh, that Konya received 
in that car, seeing it from the onboard is just, it, it's, it's a bit breathtaking. So if you are planning on watching it after hearing our reviews, um, yeah, just keep that in mind and yeah, look out for that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was rough, but we'll move on. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, Cool Racing and Duquesne Engineering retired from the race. Um, also, the United Autosports car suffered a similar... The, the Orica suffered a similar failure to what it did in the WEC race. So that also retired from the race. Um, mm-hmm. And But the last st- stanza of the LMP2 race was frantic. There was four cars at the head of the field that were in with a shot of winning. So the, the Graf Racing number 39, the number 26 G-Drive Racing, the number 21 Dragon Speed car, and the number 28 IDEX Sport car. The There was a late race safety car. I can't remember why it was for that part of the race. No, it was for the cool racing car, in fact. So this is an hour out from the finish that this safety car has happened. And Graf was leading the field at the time. They backed up the field at the end of the hangar straight. And I'm talking like GT cars almost running into the back of P2 cars because Graf stood on the brakes that hard. And then they got a penalty, I think it was half an hour later, to take for that um, for that infringement. And that kind of threw everything uh, out the window and completely changed the aspect of the race late on. Now, do you think the penalty was justified? Uh, penalty? I am... <laughs> Should I default on my previous racing <laughs> applications? You, 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 you very a, much like a, a penalty. Is a penalty a penalty? You, you really so. hands off on on having an opinion on any of these things, don't you? It's it's not that I, I no I I just like I don't know. There's there's so <laughs> much drama that comes from these decisions anyway that like I feel I feel like if I'm implying any logic, it's it's almost like over over applying, you know, oversaturating yeah. the the discussion. So. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, on the one hand, I understand the penalty, uh, because it is a penalty. But on the other hand, I mean, it's a tit for tat thing. It's the same thing with the Keating penalty. I, in my opinion, so, I not necessarily the same value and weight, but like the overall result, I kind of think it's a little bit like that. So. Yeah, it do- it doesn't sit well, but it's penalty. So I I there you go. I I would say it's definitely a penalty. He did stamp the the driver stamped on the brakes pretty hard, and as I said, a the third car on the line, uh, which I think was the Spirit of Race Ferrari, almost went into the back of the car ahead of it because of that. So when you're uh, compressing the field that much that quickly, those sort of incidents can happen. So it's a it's a what what do you call it? It's a deterrent to do something like that and something potentially stupid the only issue i have with the penalty is how long it took to deliberate so this incident happened uh at about an hour to go in the race an hour and three minutes to go on the race i've got in my notes and the penalty was only applied with 11 minutes left now yeah yeah that uh, that to me that is a bit of a problem, problem. Yeah. yeah yeah um i didn't i didn't i didn't appreciate that <laughs> yeah it, 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 it shouldn't take that long to investigate unless well even if even if there's unless like onboard footage was required blah 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 um they should be systems in place to be able to make those deliberations more quickly right or like a like a threshold where it would go to end of race or Ooh. something you know where because essentially what you're doing is you're you know you're not giving any chance for anybody to react to a, a problem yeah. so 
where you would be pushing because you knew that there was a violation. You're essentially not told there was a violation until too late. Yeah. And well, to be fair, why the, is that your fault? To be fair, they did announce that they were investigating it about a minute after it happened. Yeah, <laughs> it's, that's, it's but, just, but you can't resolve the issue. It's not like, okay, investigation, okay, we'll pit him, do drive through, then we're good. You know, yeah. and they, they would they wouldn't have resolved it that way. They would have issued the penalty, then you have to do it. So um yeah I, I i think the penalty is fair um because they broke a rule violation what isn't fair is the fact that they had so little time to essentially try to compensate for yeah. that penalty like you you know you could punish somebody but you can't just just like deem them unable to win or even compete because they were you know they did that so infractions are a part of motorsports yeah. so i i just i think that that was kind of yeah, that wasn't right. Yeah, I I think the the biggest thing would been would have been had there been a safety car immediately before they announced the penalty, it would have just destroyed uh Graf's race. As as it happened, it didn't. Um, how so? You know, we're kind of suppos- uh, making supposition, blah 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 here. Um, but yeah, I think I think it needs to be just a little quicker. But in the end of the at the end of the day, though, they popped out. Uh, just ahead of the charging back dragon speed car so they were engaged in a battle for third place um because ben hanley was making massive inroads uh to recover what henrik hedman lost in the middle stint um and then at the head of the field it was g drive ahead of idec and then g drive had to do a splash and dash meaning that idec sport got their first ever p2 victory uh in ELMS competition, which was great, which is really, really cool to see. And that kind of rocketed them up the the standings. But that last the last stanza of the race with uh the the four cars on slightly different fuel strategies, having to, the leader having to make a splash and dash, the second place at the time getting a penalty, someone charging back through the field, and then the last one on a fuel run. It was just a great mess of strategies. And yeah, as it happened, the IDEX sport car was on the correct one. I do love those uh, those great mix of strategies. And that's one of the best things about endurance racing in general is having that big mix at the end and seeing who pops out on top. And I think the best races this year have been the ones with late drama, not necessarily because people are running into each other or causing incidents, but the ones where the strategy options all play out right to the very end of the race. Like you think Bathurst 12-hour or the, the mix of strategies going on there that all came to a crescendo. That's 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 why we love this, isn't it? That's why right. I love and, this. Oh, for sure. I mean, and the fastest overall, you know, or the, the fastest team overall doesn't have to have the fastest lap time. And I think that's what I liked about Silverstone is that you saw what, you know, you could argue the 26 is essentially the fastest team out there, but they didn't get it right. And that, that you know, and as much as we want to say LMP2 is, is fraught with, you know, like super teams, uh, you know, from super silvers and all the other stuff, like, there's still an element of a team aspect to this where, you know, you got to decisions. You got to ex- yeah, exactly. That's it. You got to execute on you know during race day and especially throughout the race. Um, you know, because G Drive pretty much had it wrapped up if it was three hours, but not to be. Hey, even if it was three hours and fifty minutes, they would have had it. So yep, that's. And I mean, I mean, uh, no, I'm not going to make a Toyota joke right now. I feel like Do you've it. suffered enough. Do it. <laughs> I feel like as a Toyota fan, you would know exactly how that sort of feels. Coming so close. Three yeah. hours. Hmm? Yeah. Well, yeah, 23 hours and 56 minutes, was it? 
Oh, was it? Yeah, something like that. I don't know. You, you want to you tell me? I don't, I don't remember. I don't recall <laughs> that date anymore in my mind. It's just a black spot in your memory from what was it? Nothing June? happened. <laughs> nothing happened. On this but... day, nothing happened. Um, no. <laughs> so P2 was nuts. Uh, great finish in P2. It ended up being Edek from G-Drive, from Graf in third, Dragon Speed in fourth, then the 24 Panas Bartes car, the first of the Ligiers in fifth place. Um, United Autosports, just to talk about a comparison between the Ligier and the Orica, the Ligier finished in 8th place. The Orica had that issue early on in the race, but was in the lead battle at the time. So, not sure how that would have played out, but we'll talk more about that mess when it comes to Spa-Francorchamps. Uh, in P3, P3 again flies under the radar because P2 in this race was nuts. Um, but this was, again, a heads-up fight between the Euro International car and the Inter-Europol car, which, at the line, went to um, Inter-Europol. Yes. Yes, it did. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So, so what happened happened late in the race is uh, the Euro International car, the number 11 car, uh, had, had the gap laid on the piece, and they... Had they were trying to do a fuel run to the end, and then late on in this fuel run, they got a meatball flag, so the the black and orange flag for a piece of the cheese grater, the legality panel on the rear bumper, which uh, covers the rear of the tire. So that had broken off because of contact earlier in the race, um, and they were given a black and orange flag. I think it was three minutes out from, sorry, three laps out from the finish to come and fix that up. So do you reckon that's justified uh, for a little no. bit of a break? No. No? Okay, why? Because they didn't have enough time. I don't know. I <laughs> Just like, I'm annoyed with the fact that we keep issuing penalties like within minutes of the end of the race. I think that's that, that's really dumb. That's really stupid. Why does this keep happening? This happened at Le Mans. Why does mm. this keep happening? I don't understand. Can someone explain to me why this keeps happening? Why can't we just issue penalties when like when they're needed? I think and then- I think in this particular instance, um, it would have been due to a. So this is me again, just supp- supposing and not actually knowing anything behind. Um, but in your example of Le Mans, uh, I, I I'm going to go back to 2016 and say you're talking about the Ford and Ferrari thing with the leader lights. Um, in sort the- of, and then this year with the. Uh- fixing the front of the gt yep yep that's fair enough um i think in those instances i definitely know in the first instance but maybe in the second instance and maybe here at this race as well the attention has been brought to the race organizers from another team as a sort of protest saying hey this is not legal we want we want them to fix this and by the way it may or may not advantage our car a little bit just a tad okay which i think you know, in this case, it did. Uh, having the the Euro International number eleven car come into the pits to fix that would have given the win to the Inter Europol number thirteen car, which is their direct championship rival. So, um, I think that is why, because that definitely happened in twenty sixteen Le Mans. Uh, the the protest against the number. Or I can't even remember what number it was. It was the Risi Competizione car was made by the Ford team because they wanted a one, two, three. Um, you know, I'm not sure about the circumstances around the Project One penalty, but it may have, may or may not. Sorry, the Ford penalty, but it may or may not have been uh, instigated by a Project One team going, "Hey, that's not legal. You can't do that, guys." So yeah, that's that's um, that would be my take, and that would be why I would suppose that it would be taken so late in the piece. 
But yet, I don't think the penalty was justified because the the body piece was still on the car. It was a little crinkled. And it's just so, 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 so nitpicky, in my opinion. Right? I don't know how you stop it, though. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I mean, because what's your... I don't have it. I'm I, like, all the time we're talking. I'm sorry. I was just trying to think of an argument against it. I don't, I don't know what to say. Like, no, let, let them lose body panels because that's a dangerous safety aspect. No, yeah. okay, I can't do that. So... I, I don't know. I mean, you essentially have to enforce really nitpicky rules because of safety or something. I, I it, it's it's frustrating from my standpoint. Yeah, for hundred percent. I don't. I'm. I I really don't like to see penalty issue like that. And then at the same time, like the the onus isn't on the teams for being petty. It's it's the it's the organizational body who's decided to penalize the team in the first place. Yeah. And no one knows specifically why that was done or if it was with an influence of another team which whatever if you if it should or shouldn't be but like i don't know it, it shouldn't get to that point and it, it should like there should be more onus on a, on a penalty than uh, you know have you know having some you know having somebody lobby for it yeah you know that it, it that just screams really really you know not right to me that you know Essentially, a penalty can be levied if you have enough lobbying power. Yeah, that's is... kind of crap. I I don't like the yeah. sound of that either. Yeah. So, but yeah, but I mean, if if he lost a legality panel, God replace it for sure. I mean, <laughs> like, is it necessary? I don't know. Probably not. You know, uh, I I like seeing cars that are beat up that that enter. You know, that that win the class. You know. Uh, uh, is sports car racing one where we have to have clean body panels when they, you know, enter park Ferme? I don't think so. But mm. then again, it seems like we you have to have almost all of them on there in order for you for that to be legal. So what is that supposed to mean? You know? Yeah. But, and uh, it was a bit, it, it very much anti uh, caused the end of the race in LMP3 to be an anti-climax because I was tracking the gap between the two cars as the number 13 was streaming through the field whereas the number 11 was on its uh, fuel saving run and it would have been really really close at the line but yeah having that uh that penalty applied at the end kind of just took all the air out of it um but that wasn't the end of the story in LMP3 because Despite taking line honours, uh, thanks to the the meatball flag being converted to a 30-second penalty for the Euro International 11 car, the number 13 got its own penalty for a drive-time infringement, which ended up dropping them behind the Euro International car anyway. So, Whee! yeah, it was a bit of a mess at the end of the race, but the long and the short of it is Euro International won ahead of Inter Europol, and then United Autosports came home third, the top Norma at Silverstone was down in fifth place, um, which honestly doesn't really surprise me for Silverstone because it's more of an aero track instead of a straight line track, and the Norma tends to be stronger in a straight line. Um, but yeah, that was the race in P3. It was very much uh, a battle between, well, it was Euro International controlling the race and into Europol almost snatching it. But yeah, that was that was how P3 went. Um, yeah, and the, and the rest followed. And the rest followed. Well and again, it's the same three teams at the front. Euro International, Inter Europol, United Autosports. So they're really the big three in uh, LMP3 at the moment. And when we look a little further down to Spa, we'll see where that puts them in the race for the championship and for that coveted Lawan entry to 2020. GTE was a great strategy battle. 
and it was mostly because the late safety car meant that most of the GTE cars could get to the end of the race on that one stop. And that was where the battle, the race was won and lost. And it was won by the 88 Proton Competition Porsche uh, with the other Porsche finishing dead last. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Porsche. complete yin and yang for your, uh, for your weekend if you're an LMS Porsche fan. Hey, and it was yin and yang for your weekend if you're an 88 fan because that car, despite winning the GTE race in the LMS, was dead last in the GTE race on the Sunday in the WEC. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and... Really, I mean, really, it was a good showing by the idiot, the, the Proton Competition team. I mean, the the fleet of Ferraris were pretty stout, um, and had and showed good pace. Uh, but it really, I mean, the the driving that came out of the uh, the eighty eight, I, I think, just kind of shone through, and that's what was the difference mm. of. For well, me, at least, at Silverstone. They were the only ones, I think, that made that long run to the finish work. Uh, all the Ferraris had to pit again, so that includes. Uh, so the, the the four that were really in the battle there were the 88 Proton Competition Porsche, the two Castle Racing Ferraris, the 83 and the 60, and then the Luzic Racing number 51. So Luzic Racing and the number 60 Castle car chose to off strategy, so pit earlier on that stint to make it to the end, and then the number 83 chose to run long and then do the splash. And the splash worked for them. They ended up staying ahead of the battle for third, Um and that was uh, that was actually a really really good battle. Um, but the the losers racing in the Kessel racing car, the number sixty, they had a pretty tough battle at the end, and it only went the way of the number sixty once it got out of traffic. So once they got through through tra- getting passed by traffic, in fact, um, the the Kessel racing was able to stretch out that advantage and finish in third so a double podium for the Kessel racing team with the 83 the all-female entry taking their second podium of the season but i think this was the first time you really saw the number 51 struggle with the weight because they they didn't have the fuel economy and they didn't have the tire life at the end of the race to keep going in that battle yeah i i think i you know i don't know as much as i want to say that it was effective i i, I don't know i, I there's still part of me that says that there was there's more of the more of the pace that could have been unlocked in the 51, but I mean, yeah, you weren't you weren't wrong. They were definitely falling off at the end of the race there, especially at the end of the stint. So, yeah, I, I'll tentatively agree with you, Flood. I'll tentatively agree with you to that, be, that we started seeing a little bit of wear and tear on yeah, that, especially with the weight. To be fair, they they were the heaviest that they've been all season. They were at forty four forty kilos, I think. For being leading the championship, winning at Barcelona and third at Monza, so they were the heaviest that they've been all season. So that's that's definitely that would have played into it. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that's how the GTE race went. It was it, it kind of snuck under the radar more again because the P two race was so nutty. Um, but yeah, uh, what, what were your thoughts overall on the Silverstone weekend, the 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 WEC and ELMS doubleheader? Uh, ELMS was about as I expected that it was going to be in terms of competitiveness um i don't think i to be honest not that it was a bad thing it didn't it really was not crazy uneventful in terms of the last few years um yeah. it, it definitely did what it needed to do it was a solid race i enjoyed it um and the and the rain absolutely the intermittent conditions that we saw even the, the day later helped definitely spice up things but um i thought it was a solid race and we definitely saw strategy 
uh, used to win a race. So, uh, you know, like, was there anything that I w- would be memorable for years on out? No, but it was a solid race that had great strategy and saw different winners again because of it. So good stuff. Awesome. Uh, so that was the Silverstone round of the ELMS. Now we jump to the most recent round of the ELMS, which was at Spa-Francorchamps. That was only uh, about a, a week and a half ago, so we're actually kind of on time here. And if I was to sum up to this race in one sentence, it would be a bit all over the place. <laughs> I think that's an apt description. Some. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Because... <laughs> Race was a bit all over the place. Um, as much as I'd love to delve into every single nuance of the P2 strategy, I kind of want to just skip to the end. Is that okay? Can we skip to yeah. the end? Sick. Yeah, fair enough. So, again, this was a battle at the end between three or four cars. So, it was the number 22 United Autosports Orica, uh, the number 37 Cool Racing Orica. And the number 26 G-Drive car. And finally, the number 22 United Autosports car. So they were the four protagonists at the end of the race. And at about an hour left in the race... Oh, sorry, no, at about 40 minutes to go. Um, because the LMP3 leader at the time, the number 7 car, lost a wheel cover at La Source. Um, so that had to be recovered. They called a FCY. Then the graph car, as a consequence of not slowing down to the allotted speed quickly enough, um, got a drive-through penalty for it, which they got... Compared to where we were at Silverstone, where it took an hour to adjudicate the penalty, here it was uh, 30 minutes left, car 39 manager to race control, and then uh, 10 minutes later they got given a penalty. So a lot quicker in this instance. So, Graf came in immediately to serve that penalty. Then the full course yellow came out for a car at, in the gravel at the campus S's, which meant that their full co- their penalty, their drive-through penalty, had much less of an effect than that it would have had because they were already in the pit serving the penalty when the full course yellow came out. So it meant that they were able to get away with it a little bit. It kind of dropped them in between the two cars battling behind them, which were the 22 United Autosports Orica and the 37 Cool Racing Orica, um, where if they'd taken it at full green, they would have been well behind the 37. But what it did do was it meant that the last section of the race was an absolute dogfight between the 37 and the 39, so the Cool Racing and uh, the Graf Racing car, and in the end, it was on the last lap where they came together into the bus stop chicane. Cool Racing tried to go around the outside. They made contact at the apex. Uh, the graph car forced the Cool Racing car off the circuit. The Cool Racing car came back onto the circuit, bounced over the curve. They made more contact. In the end, the Cool Racing car came second. But the story wasn't over there. Uh, it was a crazy finish to the race. Cool Racing immediately got given a 10-second penalty which dropped them from second to third uh, in the race results. At the podium, the, the drivers of Cool Racing, uh, Anthony, Anthony Borgo and Nicola Lapierre, uh, refused to celebrate. They accepted their, their trophies and then left the, the, the podium once it was finished. Then, after the, uh, the podium, the penalty against Cool Racing got cancelled. So they ended up finishing in second position. So... 
what a what a what a what what a what end of the race. Um, we that was a roller coaster. That was, that was a fun. roller coaster. Yeah. So I, I'm gonna hesitate to ask you this again, but what were your thoughts on that last lap incident? Oh, thanks. Let me let me decipher this. Um, P two P three. That was no issue whatsoever. Penalty rescinded. Thank you. It was a dive bomb for sure, so I could I could see the the myth uh with it a bit. Well, I would say dive bomb because he went on the outside. Yeah. He just really stuck it in there, and he was really aggressive with the turn in. So, but yeah, I mean it's the last lap of the race. I mean, as long as he's not cutting courses and he's not he's not doing anything egregious, that's that's fair game for me. So, but we've we've been over that countless times. <laughs> you know me. So, but um, that aspect I had no issue with. Um, the 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 full course penalty thing I, I definitely get that too that that was that's definitely a, a violation yeah. uh, that's a safety thing got got to have that done um and protest on the podium man I mean I'm sure they, you're not happy but yeah I mean look they had a right to be pe- peeved right they sure uh, recovered from a kind of mediocre start to be in a really positive position at the end of the race um and as you said it wasn't really a dive bomb because he went around the outside and. To be fair, the graph car was blocking pretty hard on that last lap because they came. They there were no tail at the start of that last lap. Uh, for me, I don't think it's a penalty because at no point did uh, the cool racing car instigate contact with the graph car. He was fully within his rights to go around the outside. He was fully within his rights to stay around the outside. I think he would have made the corner had the graph car not escorted them escorted him off in the bus stop in that last section and so that's where the contact was instigated and returning to the circuit uh you know he did the right thing he came back onto the circuit um and completed the lap as opposed to cutting through the last chicane so yeah i was as a fan and i was sorry as a viewer and as a small fan of the 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 cool racing team i was miffed to learn that they had earned a penalty but uh i yeah i I think the correct decision at the end was made. And they said after reviewing the incident further, they, they rescinded the penalty. So yeah, that was good. And on the whole, it was a pretty, yeah, frantic race in, well, throughout the entirety of the race, really. Uh, there was, you know, a brake explosion in one of the P2 cars. There was just a car spinning under safety car uh, early on the race. It was just mm-hmm. just a mad, mad race from start to finish. I mean, we had, uh, yeah, then there was some incidents uh in, in free practice as well so yeah. I mean, we had we had just a lot of action throughout the entire weekend and uh a lot of just spies had an awful awful year this year so yeah uh, i mean well i'm i'm okay that we really kind of got out of that weekend with uh relatively minor-ish injuries well, there, and nothing there wasn't too any injuries severe. in the end i don't think um for the p2 yeah. guys yeah I mean, there was a car that was injured. Um, IDEX Two cars Sport, are injured. Yeah. Uh, there was the IDEX Sport car, which had that big off into the outside wall already on. And they ended up finishing... They ended up finishing sixth in a brand new car. That car had never been raced before. I think the story's been told enough, but we'll tell it again. That car was actually a drive day car, basically. It was a Orica prepared as a track toy that they managed to acquire on the the Saturday, build into a race car, and then race on the Sunday to finish sixth. So that's pretty impressive. Uh, and then the other car that had the, the issue um, was the BHK Motorsport car. I think, which then didn't make the race. 
Oh no, they did make the race. I'm not sure. I can't really remember the other one. But there was the other one that went into the inside wall at the top of our rouge. So I actually spanned towards the inside. Um, so yeah, pretty lucky that uh, both drivers managed to escape without minor, uh, without injury. And yeah, uh, that they were able to race. Yeah, fair mm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, another big thing about the race, uh, United's first win for over a year, and they do it at the seat of an Orica. They're, that number 22 was strong from start to finish, and they... Pretty much worth the class of the field, I think. I think that was a deserving race winner. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, in weird kind of, they won it slightly weird and kind of in shades to their last race win, which they won last year at Spa. At at Spa, in the pouring rain. In the rain. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's just Spa and kind of irky, weird, like not normal races seem to go United's way. So yeah, for sure. They, uh, and in a maiden victory for the Reka for that stable. So, um, kind of get that under their belt and see if they, they can go for there for the, uh, season finale. Mm. And the other United Autosports car as well was fairly strong in the middle stint, but then fell away later on the race. They ended up finishing ninth overall. But it is still G-Drive that lead the championship as we head into the last round at uh, Portimao. So G-Drive have a 13, only a 13-point advantage, and I expected that to be much bigger, but it is due to the con- consistency of the IDEX Sport team who finished uh, second at Port Ricard and at Monza and then took the win at Silverstone that uh, maintains their uh, challenge for the title. Now, the thing is, though... Both of those cars are quite a fair way away from the graph car in third place. The the graph car is, in fact, uh, well, let me do some quick maths here. 12 points from the IDEX Sport car, which makes it 25 points away from the G-Drive car. So that means that uh, in the all-important search for the uh, Le Mans entries for next year, it is between those three, effectively, to see who gets the two invites to Le Mans. Mm-hmm. Mm. And neither the G-Drive car or the IDEX Sport car had a good race. They ended up finishing in 4th and 6th, respectively. So, uh, their first for both of them, their first race is off the podium. Yeah, so uh, it, it's it's putting a decent amount of parity back, you know, I, I think, into some of these classes heading into the final round, which, uh, again, I can't, I can't be more excited for, especially just with some of the title fights on the line, too. And, and just, yeah, and, and, and again, what you said, reiterating that, um, there's more than just kind of the end of the season that, that is there. There's next year's, uh, you know, next year's just not even just the season, but just, you have races in general that you're just trying to qualify for. So yeah. a lot of stakes going into this last round. Mm, and, and this is of course a confirmed entry and that's, that's the coveted thing. Like you can, you know, a lot of these cars have competed at Le Mans before. So, you know, like IDEC was at Le Mans last year. Graf was at Le Mans last year. Uh, United Autosports were at Le Mans last year. Duquesne made it to Le Mans last year. But to get a confirmed entry that you don't have to worry about getting selected or getting invited. Now, that's that's the prize. That's what you want. And that's going to be a, a big factor coming into the, late, the, the last race of the season. No, it's the difference between, I mean, really having it very easy... Um, you know, easy breezy almost going into Lamar from everything, sponsorships, uh, potential driver lineups, that kind of stuff. When you have that kind of almost uh, that golden ticket really to get into the, mm. into the gig. So, you know, just from that aspect, fine. You know, you might get your way in and, and earn that spot in the entry list in February, but to have it 
this early on and to be able to, to kind of show up first to some of these drivers or sponsors that you're looking at to entertain and try to, you know, build a uh, a winning, you know, team up for Le Mans next year, it is a huge advantage. Exactly, exactly right. You don't want to be given the runaround like, say, maybe United Autosports was this year, where you've got to fight and lobby to try and get that second entry invited after being so prominent in all of ACO's events last year. Um, that's what we were saying. You mm. got to, you, I mean, that's what we are telling them. Win it. I mean, you know, fine. You have a, you have a case to make that you, that you didn't get it. Well, we actually, they did. Yeah. They, they ended up getting it only because they, they built win. temporary garages for it. Um, so yeah, it was, it well, was, yeah, but, but did they win? They, oh, they or... won one entry through the Asian Le Mans series and then yeah, they won another one, right? Yeah, no, they didn't win it. another one. They were expecting to get invited for another one, but they weren't until they expanded the garages. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But they they were they thought that they were going to get another. Yes. Hundred percent. So, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Thank you for the refresh. No problems. Uh, final thoughts on the P two race at Spa Francorchamps. So United Autosports won. They took their debut win in the Orica. G Drive in fourth. Duquesne Engineering another strong showing in fifth. No Ligiers in the top ten. The only classified Ligier finisher was into Europol in twelfth. The other two Ligiers in the 17-car class were non-classified finishers. So, is there now an actual problem in the diversity of LMP2? Um, wait, this is 2018 or 2019. Oh, 2019. Um, yes, yes, there's a problem. Yeah. Do we have okay. a solution? No. We'll move on then. 2022. Um, literally nothing yeah maybe add gurney flaps literally just add a gurney flap to the array like just add a massive uh or what is it a gurney wing (laughs) and uh i I don't know what else you're gonna do like seriously they just throw the balance off for for a year and then and then array is gonna cry foul that they've been on right you know like you know unfairly challenged but Still, I I don't know. I like I genuinely don't know what the problem. I, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Like I I I don't understand why we haven't employed a second Joker update. You know, uh, I I I don't I don't know. Like yeah. it, it's very confusing. The entire discussion of LMP two. That's why I really would love to have like we should do an LMP two debrief. I know we, that's coming out in twenty twenty two, but we should definitely just do a where are we at right now with LMP2 because I would I would fill an entire episode up with talking about LMP2. Yeah, next next year's summer break when we actually have some time we'll do it maybe. No, we're not we'll we'll find a time to do it. Jesus. Um, all right, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So, despite all the late drama in P2, that wasn't even all, the entire late drama in in the ELMS at race at Spa. So there was a P3 battle as well uh in the mix. The number 7 was leading all race, just had absolute complete control over the race um, until there was some contact with a P2 car at the uh, oh whereabouts was it? I think it was at La Source that my, I might be mixing up my P3 uh, bodywork problems. There was there was some contact which broke the bodywork of the number 7 so they had to come in and fix the nose which lost the lead to the number 13 car. Remember the number 13's in the championship fight. The number 13 then subsequently got a puncture, had to pit, and came out between the number 7 and the number 11, which, again, the two cars in the championship fight. So the number 7 was on a fuel run to the end of the race. Number 13 and the 11 were both charging it down, 
and what we got on the last lap. Now, this is something that we didn't actually see on the stream. All we saw on the stream was the three cars crossing the line, almost line astern, with the number 11, which was in third to start the last lap, leading the number 13, which was second to start the last lap, over the line, with the number 7 literally just behind. So in the last lap, the top three positions had basically inverted... And the final gap of the line was three-tenths of a second between first and second, and all three cars separated by one second. It was it was awesome to watch and then listen to as essentially the commentators were getting their minds blown by not... Yeah. like it, it, it almost felt like an amateur call because everybody was just like, oh, you know... Congratulations um, for the P2 the- victory and all that sort of stuff. And then all of a sudden it's like, the timing screens, they're all together. What's going on? Right, yeah. And, and then the 11's leading. Like, what is this? It, what? <laughs> it was unbelievable. I, I mean, it, that was just a absolutely uh, mind-blowing kind of end to a race that was already pretty close in LMP3 for most of the entire race. And it just got to, like... And, and, and insane, yeah. And and again, they were showing this after the P twos were were like literally clobbering into yeah. each other for the the second slot on the podium. So like, I mean, it, I was just like, okay, what is what else is going to happen here? I, I was expecting just like the GTs to just run into each other, you know, head first or something like yeah, that. Yeah, one of the GTs to just launch off the tire wall in in the bus stop to launch over the corner of the track and take the win, <laughs> <laughs> as you do. Uh, um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, sausage carb. <laughs> yeah, back on track. Back on track for a little bit. Um, so what that meant now is that the championship battle between the number thirteen and the number eleven sits like this, heading into the last round of the series at Portimao with again a Le Mans P two entry invite on the line. The interurinate. Uh, sorry. I've already made that mistake. The Inter-Europol competition car and the Euro International cars are 33 points ahead of the field, tied on points. It is a heads-up, one-versus-one fight for that Le Mans entry for next year between the number 11 and the number 13 car. What a cool way to finish off the season. Like, damn. Yeah, that is going to be uh, something that we're going to be hopefully paying attention to, not only for championship reason. Like, I, I hope they have graphics for it. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. I, I hope they have graphics for all the impl- you know implications that may come for just running orders. I mean, there's just there's going to be so much to just pay attention to if you just want to look at the live timing and scoring mm. screen all the entire race, right? Yeah. So, well, at least at least in P3, the equation is simple. Simple. Whoever finishes first out of Euro International and into Europol win the championship. And yeah. part of that is because of Euro International's non-finish at Barcelona. Had they not had the engine blow up, they would be miles away at the front of the field because take away that zero and they have won three of the races this season uh, and the only race they didn't win besides the non-finish, they finished second. Um, whereas on the other hand, into Europol, they've got three seconds, a win, and a third, and that win came in the race that Inter- Euro International didn't finish. So it's going to be a pretty crazy heads-up fight, and it could go either way. Who do you reckon is going to win out of those two? Who, who's going to take the championship? Um, I'm going to go with 13. You know 13? Uh, mm-hmm. Ooh, okay. I'll, I'll be different, then I'll say 11, I think. Ooh. Uh, seeing as they've won th- three races this year... They just need to beat. They just need to beat one other car. I, I like the underdog. Yeah, we'll go with that. 
Um, so that's pretty wild. That's a pretty cool way to, to finish the season season in LMP3. But in GTE as well, it's even simpler as far as the championship uh, situation is concerned. Um, because even though the Porsches had the qualifying pace that kind of disappeared at the start of the race... Uh, even though they had all the extra weight from leading the championship and winning the race at um, Barcelona and just finishing off the podium at Silverstone, Luzic Racing were untouchable. They only ended up winning by two seconds, which is a bit of a, a misnomer because they were just the class of the field the entire race. But with that win, Luzic Racing win the ELMS GTE Championship and with it an entry to Le Mans next year. In their first season in ACO competition, like... Wow, what a result from a brand new team to the ELMS, and they they just go straight from straight from nothing to ELMS champions to Le Mans next year, just like that. Yeah, I mean it it, it shows the caliber and I and I think the the hunger that they had when they that they joined the series, and I think it also shows too that I don't know, I mean. I don't think we we had any any, any reservations that LMGTE and ELMS wasn't maybe like the greatest in terms of talent pool, but it certainly has a lot of good drivers. Mm. I, I didn't expect, I think that driver combination to come in so quickly and to to do work, but um, I don't know, may, maybe maybe my personal re, uh, opinions need a little bit of reassessing in terms of the the field here because yeah that was a extraordinarily not i wouldn't say easy championship but it uh they made it look very very effortless yeah at, at points i'll i'll agree with that the thing i will say about the latter half of the gte season in the elms is it suffered a bit of um uh talent loss so in in the last half of the elms season um the Project One team that would have normally been racing has moved on to the WEC, so they they're not racing ELMS anymore. The second Proton car is not racing in the ELMS anymore because they're finding it difficult to find people to fill that car, the team uh, drivers to fill that car. And EBI Motors have left the series; they they're not haven't been competing in the last few rounds. On top of that, the Aston Martin teams that we would have seen in ELMS, either Beach Dean AMR or um, TF Sport. TF Sport moved up to the WEC. Beach Dean have uh, dropped down to a British GT effort. So it's suffered a bit of um, talent loss. And uh, yeah, so not necessarily that it's now a weak class. It's just that uh, a lot of the uber competitiveness of it has kind of gone away. And you know, drivers like Pierre Guidi are the the cream of the crop in the LMS now, and by some way, I mean, you know, the other drivers that you'd say you'd put in that sort of category, maybe Matt Griffin, maybe Andrea Pacini, but then, you know, the, the, the guys like Matteo Cairoli, who was the pro in the Dempsey Proton car, you know, he's a Porsche young driver still, and he's the a gold rated uh guy running a team yeah basically being the anchor for a team whereas you know Pierre Guidi is a world endurance championship on the other hand so yeah it's a bit of a bit of a a swap in the sort of quality that we've had in the LMS which is a bit of a shame but you still got to go out there and execute and lose it racing just 100% have executed they've just mm-hmm. executed the rest of the field they're going to execute the field at Le Mans Everybody's not paying attention to Oh, well, I mean, not with that driver lineup, because Pierre Guidi is going to be sitting at the seat of a Ferrari. 
Uh, yes, he in will. The that is true. I forgot about that. He is a factory driver. Yeah. So still permutations to go, but they are the first confirmed Le Mans automatic entry for next year, besides the WEC entrance, which is a pretty cool boon to have. Yeah. I uh, no. I mean, why not? And it, I mean, again, like I said earlier, might as well get it at uh, squared away as early as you can the year prior right I mean, like, yeah exactly it only bodes well for your team if you can get that squared away exactly right so they take the elms gt championship it, the battle for the next auto entry is between the number 77 dempsey proton car currently on 75 points and the 83 kessel racing car the all-female car which uh picked up another strong result finishing fourth at the uh the spa francochamps round now they are separated by Ooh, let me do some math. Seven points. So that is the difference between a win and second place. So uh, pay attention to the pole position point for uh, the GTE class there because that could be the deciding factor should those two cars end up on the top two steps of the rostrum. Um, and then JMW Motorsport aren't too far away behind either on 64 points. So that's only nine. Uh, sorry, 11 points away from the Dempsey Proton car. So, still all to play for for that second Le Mans auto entry into the GTEM class. What a slow burn this WE, uh, sorry, this ELMS season has been. It's been some great racing throughout, though, hasn't it? It has. Um, yeah, I, I would say it hasn't been 100% as exciting as uh, last year's was, but uh, yeah. from from that aspect, I don't think it could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's last been, year was fantastic. Oh, last year was ridiculous, but the the quality of the racing in the ELMS is up there with the best best in the world at the moment. It's probably the series I've had the most enjoyment watching this year. Oh yeah, I I, I think if you were wanting to watch something, I wouldn't. I don't want to say, I guess, pure or something that is pretty authentic to what an endurance race kind of is. And just a, a solid product. Uh, I think ELMS has that down in spades where it just, it knows what it is. It caters to it and it doesn't try to break outside of that mold too much. And it does a really good job of what it's good at. 100%. And um, it's produced really, really good racing so far throughout this entire year. It's not, it, it hasn't blown your doors off. And I think IMS has done that. And WC in spurts here and there have done that more so than ELMS. But um, I would still say, you know, containing p2 cars and, and being a, a semi-international series it's it's definitely been up there asian monster is uh, though i think is gonna have something to say about it though. yeah and we will be talking about the asian one series quite a fair bit over the sum or over my summer over your guys winter it's, it mm-hmm. always feels weird to me to talk about the the end of the year being winter so i'm not going to over over my summer <laughs> The Asian One series is going to be very interesting and very, uh, very much talked about over here on Endurance Chat because they're coming to my own city. I get to go to an ACO event. Oh, I'm so excited! Okie dokie. It'll be crazy. Oh, not too late. I've already. It's it's going to be. I well, too late. I am nuts. So that's the end of the show. I think Fuji is this weekend. Uh, so make sure you're watching that. Next weekend is. Petit Le Mans, the finale of the IMSA series, and Bath- the Bathurst 1000, so the V8 Supercars Big Enduro. So look for a Supercars chat to be revived for a preview of the Bathurst 1000. Um, we'll also preview the IMSA finale and catch up on what happened at Laguna Seca. Mr. Austin, Cookie Monster FL, are you going to uh, the Petit Le Mans again this year? 
Mr. Michael Flubman, I am nice. going to Petite, heading over there in uh, a few days, probably by the time this is posted, so um, oh, mate, maybe preparing gonna... the eight-hour trek up there. I'm not going to take that long to edit this episode, damn. <laughs> well, fine. All right, so uh, five days and eight hours or something, I don't know. Yeah. It's actually six. But anyway, um, yeah, I plan on driving up there. We're having a bunch of people from a uh, all across the country and a couple a dude from the uk is flying in because nice. he's crazy yeah i was i was gonna go to the petite lawn this year and then i didn't get organized because i'm crap life life, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? life life but yeah it's uh i'm i'm really looking forward to it um if you somehow god still listening to this are, are interested in any of this going on check out our uscr we've got a bunch of stuff for meetups and uh where we're gonna be Stop by and say hi. If you are at Petite this year, I will be there. Yay! Are you going to do a Petite trackside podcast for us? You can maybe get Mike involved as well? Um, I think we've got a mic and everything ready no, to go. Not, uh, not like an mic, actual... Mike, um, MJD like Moore. A, oh, yeah. Like a, like a human <laughs> mic. I have, a, I have an actual mechanical microphone with gears and oil and all that. No, um, I actually, yeah, we're going to have, I'll have a mic and I'll grab a mic and uh, we'll mic it up and uh, have a good time. But it, nice. yeah, we're, uh, we'll have, I think some form of a, uh, of a report at the track. I don't know if it'll be an after the thing or if I can send yeah. it to you there, but yeah, we'll get We'll get our thoughts. And um, I think we might check out the new um, Mazda TCR. Oh yes, that just got announced today as well, which was quite exciting. Um, we will definitely also try to have a, a preview of the event before, so uh, next week we'll try and get another episode up. And please believe in us, because that makes us feel a little better about things. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good. That's a good send off. Yeah, I know, right? I, I, hey, I believe in you. Man. Uh, thank you. I uh, thank you. I believe in you too. You're welcome. We did this. We this did. is. There's, you hear the music right now in the background as it fades in, but beyond that, I think we did a good job. I think that you did a good job with the prep. Oh, thanks. I did a good job making words sound intelligent. And, uh, yeah. We did I'm a good tired. job at scheduling as well, because what time is it for you now, Cookie? Uh, it's almost 2, buddy. Yeah. Okay, we're, we're closing in here on uh, on 2 a.m. here in the States. <laughs> Whereas for me, it's 3 in the afternoon, so... On that note, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for joining me, Cookie Monster. Peace out. We'll see you next time. (sighs) Gazoo! his in in general uh he just okay he just hit you just he just yeah he just he went general yeah you did a bunch of notes oh no i've started saying it oh no oh no (laughs) what'd you do so a a bunch of people in my like my old uni friend group have started saying yeet unironically and i just did it then and oh no clarkson what have you done to me (laughs) (laughs) you you know, this is this is serious in nature. So we're gonna have we're gonna conduct ourselves in a mature fashion uh, because this is a mature podcast. Is it though? It should be. Well, we. F- <laughs> <laughs>
fucked up somewhere, didn't we? <laughs> well, we strive to be, let's just put it that way. I should be recording this. This would be great end of episode banter. Oh, wait, I am recording this. Oh, perfect. <laughs>